Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay. Hello, everyone. This is Damn You, Hollywood. That's Mark. I'm Robert. Um, who was know. that who just walked behind you? My brother. I have two brothers that will occasionally come in and out of frame here. Or my mom on occasion as well, now that I think about it. Uh, all right. So before we get into the show proper, let me just do my usual bit about please engage with the product. However you're listening, if this is on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. I know I hate saying it. I feel dirty, but uh, it works. I'm supposed to say it because it works. So I don't get me wrong. I hate saying it and you hate hearing it. But come on, be the shill that we all know you are. Don't hate the player, hate the game. You don't pay me enough for me to actually shill and be happy about it. Wait, I want to play too. I want to play. If we're playing, name that, you know, like everyone's favorite phrase. Here's my favorite phrase. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Mark your bingo cards, kids. It has begun. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or however that works these days, they've changed the name a few different times, please. Subscribe and give us a star rating. Help write a review. That helps a great I don't even deal. Want that much. Just just write a comment besides the one that says "What the heck." Someone write something else. Anything else? Okay. We I have, just we have one one guy who wrote "What the heck" is really bothering me. Yeah. Somebody else. Give us a more give us a more fair and balanced review. I don't care if it's only three stars. Just I don't give care us if you write each shit and die and it's one star. Just not "What the heck." <laughs> it's the same thing for years now. Yeah. So if you Go would ahead, do that. Robert. Uh, it, any advertisers that want to get behind the show, they look at that's one of the metrics they look at is how this is the stuff on Apple Podcasts and whatnot. So, because right now the there. only one behind the show is Robert's brother, apparently. <laughs> at the moment, um, if you're tuning in on, we're on Twitch now, right? We're trying to be. Okay. Well, assuming this ever goes live on Twitch, please do at least follow. Follows are free on Twitch, so click the follow button. Helps us out a lot. Thank you very much. And speaking of pointless shilling and selling out, Marvel is on the docket this evening. <laughs> Thank you. I bought it before they became outlawed on streets. We are talking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Hey, for people listening on audio, introduce the rest of the cast. I will. That's up next. <laughs> Joining us in our discussion of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings... Uh, we have Alexis Haina from Honeysuckle Rose Creations enjoying a down week from the convention circuit now that it's kind of back up. How you doing, Alexis? Doing good. Cleo already made her mandatory cameo. I'm sure she'll be back in. Hopefully, Mark, it won't be as bad as it was last night where she apparently decided since we were discussing Doug Days, she needed to be in as a uh, visual representative of dogs. Well, representation matters. 
Not when she's not when she's eating my microphone and and the fact that I have to actually bail out of a plug because I can't get her to stop kissing my face. Speaking of representation from our Canadian office, it's David Wright, everybody. How do you do, Dave? I'm doing all right. Wondering why my camera view has changed despite me never even touching the camera. But yes, yeah. we are now we are now representing like Lower Mainland BC as well as Mississauga on this podcast. Yeah. We're making our way through the provinces. I'm convinced that I'm convinced the various webcams are now that printers are basically out of style. You know, they printers always used to be the things that were possessed and would give you headaches for no good reason. Now it's webcams. And in case you're listening to this for the first time ever and you're wondering what does the Rattledge and Rattledge and Broadcasting mean, I'm Mark. Yeah, that's Mark Rattledge over there. He's having a good time. Speaking of good time, Shang Chi. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna not be the usual downer, but I'm gonna be a little bit of a downer on this one per usual. I'm not gonna be as down as usual, but I'm going to be my usual downer. Hmm. How dare you this really, film you, not be perfect? You were really? um not looking forward to this at all. Nope. Were you at least pleasantly surprised in any way, or did it meet your lack of expectation? Um Yes and no. Good answer. I well <laughs> In the ways that I expected to be disappointed, I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of ways, however, that the movie did surprise me, and I'm happy to get into that when I talk about it uh, more at length later. But okay. 50 words or less from the rest of you then. on go because we, Now that my you know general antipathy is once again on record, Mark, you were a kid in a candy store, as was your son, about this movie. So 50 words or less, your expectations, your excitement. I wasn't. I personally wasn't looking forward to it. I was looking forward to spending a day with my children, taking them, and they were looking forward to it. They were excited about this every time we saw the trailer for it. Um, and I'm always happy when they're excited about a film that we can all go see together. I have really no knowledge of Shang-Chi. Um, I know a little bit about him from the comic books, but not a whole lot. And I wasn't necessarily, you know, as I've said many times on this podcast, I'm not a Kung Fu movie person. I'm not a in any way an, an expert on Chinese fantasy films or, you know, the, the Asian market of films in general. So none of this really appealed to me, but it was Marvel. It was something I knew we were going to talk about in the podcast. So I just sort of didn't care about any of that and was like, Oh, well, I'm going to go in with an open mind. And much like free guy, uh, as I told Alexis, when we reviewed that, when I have no expectations and I have no, no anticipation of a film, that's when it like, and ends up knocking me on my, my ass and it ends up being wonderful and I have a great time. It's when I look forward to things that the world disappoints me and I need to walk into the woods to live deliberately. Uh, somewhat apropos, that winds up being part of like a Buddhist philosophy to expect nothing is to have no, is to be one with more one with the world and you are open to receiving what comes your way rather than expecting and demanding things of it. I thought well, we my mother would be a movie. My mother would be generally disappointed if I turned Buddhist, but that is, but that is an interesting philosophy. All right, Alexis, go ahead. What, what were your uh, general anticip anticipatory thoughts about Shang-Chi? I really didn't know much about this character. I knew that Marvel was going to have to do some massive, not rewrites, but reimagining to make this work. The character of Shang-Chi, classic comic book character as it was, is full of Chinese stereotypes that would not fly in today's modern world. I mean, the fact that his father is the uh, originally was not the Mandarin, he was Fu Manchu. And there is no way we're going to get that in a movie in 2021. 
As I told my friend Elizabeth, it's 2021. We ain't doing no Fu Manchu. It's a shame. Fu Manchu is an awesome character. Yeah, and but the last great. time we had Fu Manchu decent was when we had Nicolas Cage play him in the faux Rob Zombie trailer with Werewolf Women of the SS. And that's just because it's Nicolas Cage. Hey, Fu Manchu makes, makes an awesome facial hairstyle, by the way. That he does. I absolutely would have loved Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm just throwing it out here, there. Here, here. What about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, so I I wouldn't call myself an expert in uh, kung fu films or wuxia films. Uh, wuxia being the more fa fantasy, uh, epic type films. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, like I've, I've certainly watched a few. Like I have an appreciation for the drama. Like you know, if you if you get a good kung fu movie, actually all kung fu movies are good, depending on one's interpretation. Uh, it's true. I you, either, you either love it because it's got like good story and fights, or you love it because it's just the most batshit insane thing you've ever seen in your life. Okay. Either or works. But uh, regardless of that, so I, I didn't have much in the way of expectations initially, because like credit to the advertising team, they really held back in the trailers. Yeah. Like, I think I think mm -hmm. they only really showed you like scenes from the bus fight. Yeah. And that was about it. So like there was a lot there's so much you do not see of the the full movie. So like, you know, it looked fine. You know, it's like, okay, bus fight. You know, that's, it's, you know, nothing, yeah. there was nothing bad that I saw and it was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. But there's also nothing that made me go, oh, wow. Like this is next level stuff. So I was, I was just that's kind of expecting, okay, Marvel does Kung Fu fantasy, which it kind of mm -hmm. did do. Um, a bit later, I sort of heard a bit of word of mouth is like, yeah, this film is just so much more than you get in the trailers. And you know, like, it's this huge epic thing. And I loved it sort of thing. So I uh, had a bit higher expectations going in through through that. But yeah, like I, I didn't go in expecting to be blown away. But you know, it, it's a Marvel movie. Like I was expecting to be entertained. And I was, I was just to say, just to piggyback on that, and then Robert can get into the plot synopsis. They showed almost none of the third act in the trailer. A lot of it's act one and parts of act two. But um, almost that, that entire end sequence, that entire third act, I think other than him yelling at his father, is this what you wanted? They didn't show any of that. It kind of gave me Endgame um, vibes where they were like, let's not spoil too much of this movie. There was well, that, they, 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 they released they released like two and a half hour trailer for Endgame. It was called Infinity War. <laughs> True. They showed the, well, they did show him seeing the dragon underwater. But other yeah. than that, yeah, there's not a whole lot. There, yeah. They were the trailer for this remarkably restrained. I actually want to give kudos to whoever cut this thing together in that respect, because yeah. so many contemporary trailers. Mark, we need to get into the trailer reaction gig, because I know how much that would fulfill your soul. It would just it would brighten your day. Yeah. Shang-Chi you with 5000 percent more dragon than Iron Fist. I hate the Internet as it is. Please don't tease me. <laughs> We used to do trailer reactions, though. Why'd we stop? Because Mark... Uh, look, I, no, that's we, me razzing Mark. Mark hates them. Yeah. I I, I did them because they were... I, I, ha <laughs> I did them because I have fun with my friends on podcasts, and this was something my friends wanted to do, and so I was going to be open to it. I generally hate the hate doing them, though, and, uh, and I kind of hate the whole culture around it. I went through this with Robert. I'm not going to go through it again. Um... <laughs> But the real reason we stopped doing it was because Jesse became essential. And we stopped doing a lot of things because we lost Jesse for a while. All right, Robert, that YouTube picture means go with the plot synopsis, buddy. Oh, joy. All right, we open with the with a character whose name I can't remember. Wen Wu. Thank you. 
there's a lot of these that I'm going to stumble over, so my apologies. But we have Wen Wu. Uh, we talk about him. He is the leader of the Ten Rings, a character who is very old. He discovered the Ten Rings. We don't know how. We don't know why. We don't ask questions why. We just are supposed to pretend he's wearing pants even when he isn't. And that is a reference no one's going to get, but I'm going to make it anyway. Uh, he... Comment if you get my re- if you get my obscure reference, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> uh, he found the again. There's many leg. There's rumors about how he found them, but he has the ten rings. There, he wears five on each of his arms. They give him magical powers. He doesn't really age. He has the strength of a god. He conquers giant portions of the known universe. World changes his identity. Operates the ten rings terrorist organization as a kind of shadow government. But as with all men who conquer most of the world, they see the they see that there's nothing left to conquer and weep. Wenwu becomes obsessed with the myths of a city uh, village called uh, Tanlo, and it's supposed to be a place that is a little bit magical and filled with mystical creatures. And he wants to go there, pillage as one is wont to do. Uh, but he is stopped in his attempt to get there by the maze of bamboo, the ever-shifting bamboo labyrinth that surrounds the entrance to it. And then once he gets to sort of the entrance to it, he is he is stopped by uh, the woman who becomes his wife. She's this is the first person who's able to actually defeat him in one-on-one combat. They fall in love. And she winds up leaving with him, gives birth to his two children, one of whom is Shang-Chi, the other is uh, Xingla. I'm going to destroy that woman's name, that character's name, and I apologize. And that was uh, Zhaoling. Zhaoling, thank you. I'm, look- I'm looking at it now. I was reading the wrong one. And we get a lot of what happens in in flashbacks after this, but we flash forward to... Uh, Shang-Chi living his best life in San Francisco. Yay. Uh, with his best friend, Aquafina, playing the character of Katie. Uh, they're attacked on a bus by some of his father's men who steal a pendant that his mother gave to him. Uh, and give him the somewhat nefarious message that you were coming for your sister as well. They, He and Aquafina travel to Macau, where they enter inadvertently enter an underground above ground fighting pit where we get to see the abomination Emil Blonsky punch himself in the face courtesy of portal magic from uh, Wong come on that was cool that was very cool it was cooler than most of this movie uh, turns out his sister is running this particular fight pit they talk they they felt they had a falling out after it's revealed that after the death of their mother, uh, Wen Wu went a little bit nuts, started training his son as an assassin. Like you uh, do. Uh, Ling trained herself because she was a woman and was therefore meant to be pregnant in the kitchen, I suppose. Uh, when... Yeah, they never go into that in the movie. Yeah. <sighs> Don't get me started. I'll talk about it later. Uh, Shang-Chi was sent out on an assassination mission 
He claims he didn't do it. It later turns out that he did, but we never see it because we can't actually see our heroes in a PG-13 Marvel movie do anything, naturally. Uh, but he was so traumatized by all of this that he ran away. His sister is now bitter at him leaving her. As they're talking, they're attacked by the Ten Rings. Uh, Wen Wu shows up, brings his two children and Aquafina because someone has to crack bad jokes along back to their hideout where he explains that he's been hearing from their mother behind a locked mystical portal in the city of Ta in the village of Talo and he is going to break through this seal and free her and bring her back to the living world and wouldn't that just be grand uh, there's some magic about trying to find the way out about trying to find the path they do they bump into Sir Ben Kingsley reprising his role as Trevor Slattery from Iron Man 3 and one of the best parts of the movie yeah for the the first time he shows up yes come on ben kingsley's always so much fun and i, I will never say a bad thing about ben kingsley my issues with the writing <laughs> all right keep going with the plot so we can all talk let's go uh ben kingsley is also carting around the please 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 buy me product placement for this particular <laughs> Uh, but with the, with this mystical, please, please, please buy me product, they're able to get into Talo before, uh, Wenwu, ha Wenwu has to wait for the once a year opening of the passageway. They're able to get through with a little bit of guidance from this headless plushie. You know that headless plushie actually is a traditional Chinese mythological creature, right? It's I called do. A, yeah, it's called a hundun. I do. Look, they, they actually get through. They wind up in this extra, in a slightly extra-dimensional village where they see phoenixes and kitsunes and food dogs. Kitsune, kitsune which, would be, which would be Japanese, but... Yeah, and every Pokemon player is saying, look, Suicune, look, Ninetales. Robert, I know you play Pokemon too. Tell me that didn't cross your mind. It did. Um, the only... I couldn't remember. I can't remember the traditional name of the like horse creature that they come across because I saw them and I that one's bothering me because I can't remember what it is. The is one it that's My Little Pony. No, it's a Pokemon. No, it's it's the one that Suicune is based yeah, off of. I know. I, I can't remember what the actual mythical creature is called. And, Was uh, it Black Beauty? Please stop. I'm googling it. Thank you. And again, they then they run into food dogs in the village. They get out. They want to come to the village, and they're initially told no. And then Michelle Yeoh shows up and says, "Oh, so you're my niece and nephew. Please welcome." And everyone else goes, "Oh, but come on, we were going to be all big and burly and fight them off." And she goes, "Shut up. They're my family, <laughs> and they're coming in." And everyone goes, "Yes, ma'am." Yeah, Michelle Yeoh. Enough that's what said. I said. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Uh. She dumps exposition on them about what the, about the purpose of this particular village, how it is meant to guard the seal that keeps the, oh, what did they call it? The Dweller in the Darkness? Something like that. Yeah, something like yeah. that. It doesn't it, really matter. It really doesn't. It keeps the Dweller in the Darkness and its minions at bay. But Dwelling in darkness as you would. Indeed. Uh, and it she gives them the story about how their culture was almost overrun before the great protector, Fin Fang Foom, showed up and fought was them that off. That was? Yes. I mean, Fin Fang Foom is an alien dragon thing. It's not, it's it's not, not a Chinese dragon. It's not a Fin Fang Foom. And yeah, it's a like, Kirin. I that, yeah, I didn't oh, think it was Fin Fang Foom. 
Fuck would have made more, more like unicorn, unicorns, it but anyway. It would have made more sense for, for the thing behind the wall, the beefing thing, boom, but I don't think he's in this movie. No, yeah. he's not. Marvel has yet to correctly give us Fing Fang Foom. Yeah, Kieran is also a Japanese word, I believe. Yeah, that's probably why. I could, that's probably why I didn't remember it properly. Yeah. Anyway. It's also that's a popular band of beer. Yes, yes it's, a good, it's a very good beer. Mm -hmm. As the only person who does not consume alcohol in this podcast, I will defer to your knowledge. Uh, so they talk. This is where Shang. We get more flashbacks here to stuff I've already talked about, including how their mother died. Uh, when Wu shows up, big fight. He knocks Shang-Chi into the water. He flies over to the great big seal, starts punching it open because the Ten Rings are one of the few things that have the power to open this portal, apparently. That's why uh, the creature has been communicating with yeah. him. It's because he knows that he can do it. Yeah, he's been he's been reaching out telepathically to Wenwu and in the voice of his wife saying, I'm back here, please come rescue me. And that's kind of what's driving him. I was so worried they were going to have a dumber twist about this. So I want to thank the writers for that, at least. <laughs> um, Shang-Chi finds the great protector. They He rides it around for a bit, confronts his father again after his father has started opening the portal, is able to harmonize his inner yin and yang and actually overcome his father in physical combat, take control of the Ten Rings. But alas, this is all too late as wannabe cthulhu punches through the portal kills his father starts a big fight they're saved by the impressive uh, uh archery experience of aquafina and a bunch she's of been doing it all for like three hours i'm not i'm gonna save it i'm gonna save it i'm gonna save it they're able to overcome this thing they destroy it with the power of the ten rings we hold a funeral for everyone who died in the fight uh, Aquafina and Shang-Chi go back to San Francisco and are then somewhat brought up, by, are then talked to by Wong, who wants to examine the Ten Rings. They head to the Sanctum Santorum, where they do so, where we determine that the rings are not vibranium, they are not alien technology. They're, it, they're, this is clearly celestial stuff, and we're just waiting on actually confirming that, but so be it. To set up potential sequels, and, and we get a bit with Wong and everyone being drunk doing karaoke. And our big post-credit scene is uh, she, uh, Shaoling becoming the new leader of the Ten Rings instead of completely dismantling the organization because sequel bait, I suppose. And lobster, David. We'll start. You start off the roundtable here, uh, part of the discussion. What did you think of Shang Chi and the Legend of the Mandarin? Overall, I liked it. Like I thought that it did a decent job with like the fight choreography. Whilst I wouldn't say it's the best kung fu movie I've ever seen, but it was pretty solid. I mean, there were certainly moments during the fights where you could see like, okay, they're CG now. Okay, they're back to actors or stunt doubles. But boy, did you know, that it boy was the I, CGI in places in this movie bad. Yeah, well, noticeable. It's Marvel. Uh, we're always going to have at least a couple of scenes where the CGI is terrible. Okay. But like you know, they they had uh, Tony Leung and Michelle Yeoh. I mean, they they could do the this movie in their sleep That's if they true. had to. Like That's you know, very true. They, they they and I don't I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just you know these are old pros working in this genre. They know how it works. They know what to do. They've done this many times before. Uh, so good respect for for including them in the film. Can uh, I ask you a question? Sure. Dave? There was an article that I read. Um, 
and I may have shared it with the group. I don't know if anyone else has read this or, if you, or even if I did remember to share it, but it was um, my thoughts on Shang-Chi from somebody who understands uh, Chinese cultural films and whatnot, something along those lines. And yeah. they kind of went through all of the pastiches and representations and Easter eggs of Chinese film culture that are represented <laughs> in this movie. And they gave it a pass uh, on a pass fail mm -hmm. scale. They gave it a pass and said, yes, this film, if you're, you know, if you're looking to kind of do a buffet pastiche representation of Chinese culture on film and Chinese film culture, um, this movie succeeds. And I'm curious about your opinion on that. Uh, to the extent of my knowledge and, you know, I'm, yes. you know, not Chinese, you know, I I've lived in Japan. I've, I've watched some of this stuff. I have a degree in East Asian studies for all the good it does you, but you know, obviously I don't have the, de the, the depth of knowledge there, mm -hmm. but as someone who as an outsider looking in, who has maybe has above average knowledge of this stuff, I'd say I overall liked it. You know, okay. it's a, I, like, I guess the best thing I can compare it to is the live action Mulan where, mm -hmm. you know, and you'll know, see the archives for a review of that, where I, I looked at that film and said like, they could have done so much more. They could have done so much better with, you know, like, cause you're, China, China, China themselves have filmed plenty of big epics, many of them probably even you know, the story of Mulan. And mm -hmm. th this film just didn't bother to do sort of anything to elevate itself to even that level. Like Mulan kicks an arrow twice. Whoopty friggin' do. Like I've seen that before. But uh, anyway, so, so back to Shang-Chi, at least it seemed to be at that level of, I would say, decent modern Kung Fu fantasy film. Again, it's it's not gonna be up there with the greats of the genre, mm -hmm. but it's at least like okay, you know, like they tried. I could tell that the, they they actually wanted to, you know, have good fight choreography, to have a good story. I mean, like you know, when they were going up the elevator into the fighting pit, then mm -hmm. whatever it was, I'm like, oh, scaffold fight, because <laughs> it's just you just know in 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 a, in a kung fu movie, if there's a building with scaffolding, there's going to be a fight on that scaffolding, and you know they hit all the notes that you do, you know, with Aquafina hanging off the the one, uh, the one pole as it you know slowly breaks away. Like okay, you know we've seen that before, but you know it was, it was well done. So yeah, so as something of the genre, I thought it was was pretty good, and it's always neat to see that done with, you know, like multi million dollar, multi hundred million dollar Hollywood effects. Um, but like okay. uh, I thought, like the the family stuff was probably the strongest part of. Of the oh, yeah. film, certainly, you know, Tony Leung, like the scene where he's at the table with the, the kids in Aquafina, just sort of trying to say, you know, like, I want to bring our family back together. And, you know, him talking about Aquafina about, uh, you know, like, oh, you know, what's your name? It's like Katie, I think he says, well, what's your Chinese name? And I forget what she says. And she even, I think she even like mispronounces it. And probably, and, and, and like, and intentionally, like, just to show that she's not, she, she's more westernized. Right. Uh, you know, she, it, it's not it's not a big deal to her. And then he was like, oh, you know, your name is, you know, the most important thing. It, you know, it, it connects you to your past. And then he does. You're like, I've had many names over my life. And I was I was almost expecting I was almost wondering, like, are they going to have the balls for him to actually drop Fu Manchu in there? But uh, <laughs> they should have. They, they, they really should have. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, they sort of like, you know, it's a little wink. Right. You know, it's like, you know, this is how we mm -hmm. how we get around the whole Mandarin issue thing. You know, it's like, okay, well done. Clever, clever use of of having the inspiration for the character still be there, but not have it be directly that. Uh, but yeah, sort of him processing the grief of his wife and his kids, their relations to losing their mom and how it's affected both of them. Yeah, you had Shang-Chi, 
getting trained to be an assassin and then him going off and then just, you know, I can't go back, which also results in him abandoning his sister who was, you know, dependent on him as her support and her then, you know, losing faith in him and so on and so forth. Like, like that, that is really the good meat of the movie. Like even like in the final fight scene uh, where he's fighting with, uh, you know, with his dad and his dad said, you know, like, you know, you were there when she died, like his, his mother, you know, and you mm-hmm. did nothing. You know, you just you just stood at the window and watched them kill her, because uh, you know she was killed by a gang of thugs from a gang that uh, I'm just going to call him the Mandarin Tony Leung's character. You know, he he or Wenwu, I guess maybe I'll I'll, I'll try here, but uh, <laughs> they based it off of a chicken dish. <laughs> yes, yes, that was good. Yeah, yeah, so yes. Great. The United States afraid of an orange. <laughs> All right. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, so when when we find out that it was just like a gang that Wen Wu had a beef with back from when he was being a warlord, you know, he he settled down after he got married. You know, they came back looking for revenge. Wen Wu was like out collecting firewood or something, and it was just you know, <laughs> mom and the kids, and like the kids are like, I guess Shang Chi was like six at this time. Is that like a just trope? Sort of, they did the yeah. same thing in Mortal Kombat. Is this a thing that happens in yes. like Asian films oh, where dad Kung goes Fu out movies to collect have- Kung Fu movies have famously very simple plots that they just seem to extend into just lots of people beating each other up and furni- and furni- throwing furniture at each other. Uh, I mean and I mean that as a compliment. But... I mean specifically the thing about like dad goes to collect firewood, comes back, and his whole family's slaughtered. Yes. Yeah, there, know, there's a huge there's the revenge all is such a revenge is such a huge thing. Like you, you dishonored okay. my tiger style, therefore I come home, you're not there. Well, I'll just kill your wife because same thing and then now you have to train your son to go and defeat my son and it just you know goes on and on and on it's uh at least these guys spared the kids yeah yeah she she just yeah that that was her her response like look the kids are innocent in this let them live i'll pay for it so and he actually says yeah go okay fine get the kids out of here yeah Yeah. you know kill the people that attack them yeah We'll we'll come back if we have if you have more, but I want to get to Alexis. Um, Alexis, when you Sorry, went... not you, Alexa. Shut up. Oh, Stop. Yes. One of these days you're gonna remember to unplug that stupid thing. Speaking One of unplugs, of go. What are your uh, what are your thoughts here, madam, on the movie? Greatly enjoyed it. It does uh, hit a lot of the. Uh, fantastical Chinese Kung Fu films and there's uh, points and whatnot, like David mentioned, really enjoyed it. It's really great to see Marvel push forward with this, that they wanted to do with this film, very similar to what they did with Black Panther for African-Americans. They hired a uh, Asian American director. They had an Asian American uh, script writers. Uh, the majority of the cast were Asian Americans. And I really like they basically said, we want to honor this culture similar to the way Black Panther honored African Americans. And I thought they did a really good job with that. I thought they embraced the culture really well. And I liked it. Again, uh, I liked what they did with Wen Wu. As I mentioned, they could not do Fu Manchu or what they've done with the Mandarin. Uh, interesting little point brought up with another reviewer that I talked to. Mark, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, we were discussing the other night, uh, just casually, about the Ten Rings and how they changed it. Now, in the comics, they were alien technology and they were finger rings. And each one had an individual power. Apparently, Marvel went on the record saying they didn't want to do finger rings because they thought it was too similar to the gauntlet with the Infinity Stones. And I can understand that. 
not to mention the um, training rings like you see on uh, traditional Kung Fu fighters, I think it works. But it was brought up that in the comics, each one of the uh, Mandarin's rings had a different power. One had invisibility, one had teleportation, so on and so forth. In this one, they are just, they're just powerful. You can use them for power blasts and stuff like that. And I said, okay, that's a fair point, but what if they are actually building up that we're going to find out that each of the rings does have an individual power? So mm -hmm. what we did with the Infinity Stones, in, when we got first saw that with the, the Tesseract, I believe that was the first Infinity Stone we were introduced to, They didn't. we didn't know that it was the Space Stone. We just saw that it exuded power if you knew how to control it. And I think that's kind of the same way here. It would not surprise me if in all the thousands of years that Wenwu had those rings, he did not actually really study them and find out. It's like, well, wait, can one of these do one of the, do something different? Can I unlock the power? I see it very easily. He's like, they do what I want. That's fine with me. So what do you guys think? Do you think in uh, maybe future Shang-Chi sequels, because Lord knows we're going to get them, uh, do you think they're going to analyze more with the rings and we're going to get something a little bit closer to what we had with the original design? I mean, again, they're not going to go on the fingers, obviously, but do you think we're going to see something where it turns out they eat, that the rings have individual powers? Robert, I'll let you field that one. They might. I mean, I don't know how... I think what we'll probably get is more him just discovering different ways to use them more than ring one does this ring two does this it's more we'll probably get more along the lines of you know um vibranium is the most versatile metal material in the universe and these idiots made a frisbee with it similar I was just thinking that. similar when Wu had this incredibly powerful celestial technology and he used it to make himself punch harder and shang chi is going to be the I was one say, that he used it to turn himself into whiplash yeah, and, and Shang-Chi is going to be the one that goes, okay, what can I really do with this? Uh, Alexis, did you have any other points on the craft of the movie that you wanted to talk about? One of the things, I know that we keep making jokes about Aquafina being there as the comic relief, but she has been surprising me over the years of how good of an actress she is. There was a drama, Mark, that you said you saw uh, not too long ago she was in it that really blew you away. I've been seeing her in some other projects. She's a very, very good actress. And yes, she's a great comedian. She has very good comedic delivery. And I was easy. very happy to see it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to dismiss Aquafina, and pe many people do. Um, sorry, 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 I'm looking at Robert. Um, say, you know, you'll, you'll learn it. <laughs> Why do I feel called out here? <laughs> um, it's easy to dismiss Aquafina one because she's a you know she's a former YouTuber who ascended into traditional acting, and two, she tends to do a lot of silly comedies and be a silly character. But if you've actually seen her dramatic work, it's like Jim Carrey and many and Adam Sandler. Um, she's silly when she's called upon, but when she's called upon to do drama, she actually excels at it. And I, I don't want to cut you off too much and go into my own thing, but I will say this. I will 110% defend Aquafina in this film. Um, I was thinking a lot about Robert. I always think about Robert. Yes, thank you. Robert, you're um, never far from our thoughts. I'm definitely yeah, not sure. mine. But I was definitely thinking about you and Pat um, during uh, during this. I was thinking about Ragnarok and how one of your major complaints, and I'm going to round this back to Aquafina, just be patient. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how in Ragnarok, um, more so than in the Guardians movies, every bit of dramatic tension and every time there was 
any kind of a heartfelt moment. They undercut it with stupid comedy. It's the thing you hate most about Ragnarok, if I remember correctly. And it's I was thinking there. a lot about it's I was thinking there. a lot about <laughs> and I was thinking a lot about that, how restrained this movie was in its writing, and it's especially its use of Aquafina, who's obviously a point of view character and obviously comedy relief, but there are moments where her and um Shang-Chi have really like close and emotional moments together and it's not undercut with comedy there are a lot of moments in this movie where they allow her to just be still in front of the camera and emote um with her you know with her body and her face same thing with with the guy playing shang chi and there's no dialogue and there's no stupid jokes and that and the movie is laden with these moments which i think is one of its strength uh, and you can't have those moments unless aquafina is a con at, at the very least a competent actress so all credit to her all right good way to put it. i think that's all i got for now so a couple of things i want to say about this um i don't want to get too much into the internet's controversies and cottage industry of negative felt um, negative youtube videos on it um and we'll we'll talk about you know the the flop versus success debate going on when we get to the money but i will i will say this um, for me, this was top tier Marvel and it was top tier Marvel because I think it excels in what Marvel does best. Um, now your, your mileage may vary on this, but I personally think that when Marvel kind of takes a genre and makes it their own. And I was thinking about this when Dave was making his remarks, you know, this felt like someone took a traditional, uh, Chinese dish and Americanized it and made it palatable for general, you know, for a general, uh, audience to, to, to eat. Uh, and find enjoyable. That's kind of the Marvel success formula. It takes a spy thriller and throws Captain America in there, and voila, you have the Winter Soldier. You know, it, we, you mentioned Black Panther, very similar thing. Um, you know, every all the good Marvel movies have a genre that they are playing in and finding people to best express that genre, but in a way that isn't going to scare off the straights. And so that's, I think, one of the major successes of of Shang of uh, Shang Chi was it took that uh, Chinese fantasy model, that Chinese fantasy genre, and made it broad for an audience to enjoy. And I and you know and when I'm reading, and I'm no expert in this, but when I'm reading people say that they were not put off, in, for the most part, by those things, those who know, you know, Chinese uh, Chinese film, I, I'm gonna. I, it's it's hard for me to then criticize Marvel for doing what people wanted uh, with this. So that's on the good side. On the bad side, this is not a by any means a perfect movie. There's a lot wrong with it. Um, the movie starts off really, really strong. And the middle just kind of dies. There's some good stuff in it. Horribly. But it's, it dies horribly. Yeah. The... the it becomes a collection of things kind of happening that are loosely related, but don't necessarily have any flow. This is not a really well-paced movie. There's some structural issues with it, uh, with the pacing, which, like I said, makes the second act just sort of die. And it picks up towards the end of the second act going into the third, but then the third is a big CGI battle with, you know, with demon bats. So... And while a lot of it looked cool, and, and one of the strengths of this movie are the action sequences, the bus, the, the side of the building, the final fights all looked fine and were engaging. I especially my favorite one was the uh, the side of the building looked awesome. Um, but like I said, 
while there are nice you really emotional... need to see once upon a time in china <laughs> while there are nice emotional dramatic moments throughout the second act it doesn't feel cohesive and my major complaint is this movie hinges upon the ring of doom okay that's what the 10 rings are for me the, the they are sauron's ring of doom the um and if, if you remember with the lord of the rings uh which those long road to ruins are now in the archives plug plug um you know the the, the ring corrupted whoever wore it you know, and it spoke to them and, it, you know, and it drove and, and there's a point of comparison I want to make here. It drove Frodo in the two towers to the point of madness, such to the point that he was willing to just hand the ring over to the witch king of, uh, of Angmar. Um, and then, you know, nearly kills Sam when Sam jumps on him to stop him. That's what you need. That's what this film is missing, because if you're going to have a magic ring that's going to semi-possess your villain to the point where it drives him into madness to where he's trying to knock a door down to let a demon out because he thinks it's his wife i needed that set up better than what it was it's it's talked about it's kind of there you have shang chi going you seem crazy dad i don't think this is a good idea and that's about the extent of it and then we're we're into this we're into the third act those rings need you needed to show more scenes of him being corrupted and driven crazy there needed to be more of wang lu doing insane things like he's not they spent they spent so much trying to make him not an insulting character because of the legacy of fu manchu and the mandarin that they didn't make an interesting character in my opinion he's like okay with the dad family stuff but in terms of being sort of a dynamic menacing villain that's possessed by, by that's possessed by some sort of alien cthulhu demon I'm like, eh, it that not enough. There wasn't enough there to really sh to really motivate him the way that he's going crazy at the very end of the movie. Um, Shang Chi also not the strongest personality in, in a character I've ever seen. Ooh, he is kind kind of an empty vessel that I feel like you're supposed to project yourself into, which is not great writing for Marvel movies. Marvel movies. You know, your Iron Man's, your Captain America's, your Black Panther's, your Spider-Man's, your Cap your even your Captain Marvel's for those you know, for those of you who hate that character, they all had very strong, distinct personalities. Um, they had it would be hard for any one of us to project that you may relate to them, but it would be hard for you to project yourself onto them because they stand very thick and strong character-wise. Um, Shang-Chi feels kind of like an empty vessel that does kung fu. And I, I was much more interested in almost everybody else in this film except him. It was it was fun to watch him do kung fu shit, but I wasn't interested in him as a person, which is a failure of writing. Um, and then, like I said, the ending. I was listening to the pitch meeting earlier, and they you know, and oh, they. I haven't, going heard, the I, I haven't heard it yet. I want to. <laughs> I'm gonna look. I'm gonna watch it after this. He he does hear the same bitch twice. Um, he goes. He's, she's describing the bus scene and he goes, oh, this sounds like a real grounded fight that, you know, that seems realistic. And then he's like, and then the bus gets cut in half. And he's like, ah, there's the over the top Marvel thing. And then, and then he's talking about the end bite. And he's like, and there's there a big CGI battle with a faceless army. You know it, you know, and then he like, pull, he like does like a check off a check uh, checklist. Yep. And I'm like, look, I understand when you go to McDonald's, it makes your heart feel good to order a, you know, a quarter pounder with cheese. It's what we all like from McDonald's. It makes us feel safe and good. But until your heart stops. 
until your heart stops, number one, or, or you, you're like me, and you're like, I can't eat another quarter pounder with cheese. Please, for the love of God, give me something else. And Marvel's like, no. We sell we sell Big Macs and quarter pounder with cheeses by the billions. Fuck off. All right, Marvel, you win. So I can enjoy something while, while also recognizing this is the exact same ending to every single Marvel movie I've seen for the past, like, five years. Robert? Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do a couple of things here. The fight choreography itself in this movie, it's all right. It annoyed me in places because... How do I... How do I adequately describe the sensation? It's a little bit like taking something that is really, really awesome, but dumbing it down to the point where five-year-olds are interested. And in doing so, you strip away most of what actually makes it cool. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of the fight choreography in this movie, and especially its presentation. There's, there's so much camera motion and camera cuts like and on a scale of zero to kevin dunn where would you rate it michael bay almost Ow. ouch okay so between a five and a ten got it there's places where it's just bad like i get what they're going for they and same the same sequence We'll have parts that are really well shot and really easy to follow. And then two seconds later, it's choppy and it's blurry and you don't know what the hell's going on. Like the bus scene is about 60-40 good. But mm -hmm. there's places where either the CGI is really bad or the camera's moving too much or you're cutting too much and it just it gets a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scaffold fight is about the same way. Of course, it's also shot in the dark, so you re so you really struggle to follow what's going on. And there's I didn't any, think it was poorly lit. You and I had very different experiences with it then. But I'll did you see it in I'll IMAX or did you see it in, did you see it in digital, regular digital? digital. Might have been the digital. difference. It might have. Look, I'm willing to set that aside. Like I'll I'll happily mm -hmm. stipulate that there's technological differences between different theaters that might render that sequence better. I'm just speaking to, like, all I can do is say what I saw. Yeah, Mark, sure. you saw it in uh, IMAX. David, did you see it in IMAX or 3D? Uh, no, I just saw it by regular vanilla basic movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> Hand projectionist? <laughs> I doing finger puppets? <laughs> well, there's like five different level tiers of movie watching at my theater it's like i don't know what half this crap is yeah. it's just i just let me sit in a chair with a big screen in front of me and watch it okay <laughs> don't try to tell me on the difference between xd and 3d and oh God. yeah I'm with yeah you, you, you know what i'm talking about it's, it's I, just I, really like, do. I, I, I don't know what you know there's five different ways of seeing this film and i only understand like two of them and then welcome, there's IMAX. welcome to shang chi in feel around Oh, sorry. <laughs> hey, be thankful you guys didn't have to see the movie in 4K. All right. I there. Go, if you listen to our review on Free Guy, plug plug. I went into a nice little diatribe about the 4K movie experience. Oh, yeah. like she, the 4D she, movie she literally experience. saw it. 
she literally saw it in feel around where they strap you into a uh, a roller coaster cart and and you know rock you this way and that. Go ahead, Robert. No, they we literally do. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm familiar. Water with in your the, face. So. Yeah. yeah. No, they literally do. Who thought that was a good idea? I have no idea. Yeah, it's like it's like you know what would really improve this film experience? The feeling of being spat on. No, the worst part of it is that in the headrest, they've got these two little air jets. And every time someone fires a gun, it blows air past your right into the back of your head. So I ever and of course, I'm seeing free guy, a lot of guns. And I keep getting it's blowing my hair and it's hitting me in the back of the ears. So I am like crouching down. I'm slouching down into the chair as much as I can because I cannot stand having things hit my ears. And of course, the chair is still moving back and forth during all the car chases and everything. So I get out. I'm like, ow. Ow, my back, ow. Because <laughs> I did the whole thing slouching like a freaking 12-year-old in computer class. <laughs> Robert, what else about the uh, fighting uh, choreography did you have an issue with? We cut you off at it was shot in the dark. No, Well, okay, so that I didn't care for. Uh, it just felt a lot... It, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if this movie was overly derivative or just really, really wears its influences on its sleeve when it comes to... Uh, how it chose to you know, choreograph its fighting. So I'm going to be charitable and I'll say it just wears its influences very, very obviously. But it's, again, it, it's taking something that is really, really awesome when done properly. Mm -hmm. And then you strip everything that makes it unique and good and really interesting so that eight-year-olds are like, wow, the, you an eight-year-old is not really going to react well to John Wick. Seven. Seven-year-old. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care I about the intended target demographic. I thought you were <laughs> pointing at me for a second, Mark. I was like, no. what the hell? No, then I do this. This is pointing at you. <laughs> Damn it, Cleo. Quit kicking my computer. No, I, but yes. So Yes, they strip it down so a seven-year-old said to me at the very end, this was the most awesome thing I've ever seen. When's the sequel? Go. Yeah. Can we go to Toys R Us and buy Shang Chi all the Shang Chi toys? And look, oh. I'm not saying I don't understand. I'm not saying I don't understand it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be mm. clear about this. I'm not going. Why on earth did they do this? No, I get it. Right. I can also say, well, you took Picasso, and you like you you took the idea of cubism and Picasso and these whatever your art style happens to be, and you then. Mm taught a soccer mom how to do it and <laughs> let her like that's what we've got here right and it's and that bothers me and it's just personal like i don't expect the world to agree with me on that one but that bothers me i'd rather see something that is highly specialized be excellent than a dumbed down watered down version of it that's palatable to most people who don't actually want to engage with the movie but just sit there and zone out for three hours Okay. I, I would just, as a slight counter to that, if I can hop in for a second, sure. is like, so sure, for some for some of the people going to see this film, this would be like their first experience with this type of movie. Yes. Like, like their sort of first exposure to, you know, Kung Fu cinema, let's call it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like my hope that in, in some of these cases, someone goes like, wow, that was really awesome. Is there anything else out there like that? And if this like helps people go and you know, get into the actual classic you know, kung fu movies like then i think this film has done its job i here's my well, maybe not its job its job is to just make disney I tons know. of money but, yeah, you no, know I, it, it will have done something good for the medium 
Well, I'm with you there, David. If we if I go on to Netflix and see the 36 Chamber of Shaolin is trending, I will be very happy. I ho- I hope you're right. I mean, let me just start with that. I hope that's correct. I've just seen that same logic applied to yeah. other Marvel. I mean, in, in 95% of cases, it won't be, but let me, for that let 5%. Me re- let me reframe what David is saying this way. If I were to give you, Robert... If I were to say, hey, I love death metal and I think you'd love death metal too, I'm not gonna start you off with mayhem, you know, which is black metal. I'm you know, I'm gonna start you off with something a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more palatable in the death metal genre, because I gotta ease you into this. If I give you straight up like black metal, you're gonna be like, what the hell is this? And I think that's the point that David and Alexis are trying to make here is Yeah, it's kinda like if if you're you're not gonna spoon feed people. Yeah, like you're not going to go up to Jonas and say, like, Jonas, I want you to, to show you like the wonders of cinema as an art form. Yeah. This is your first movie experience. We're going to watch Citizen Kane. Hey, damn it, you beat me to you it. You know, right. Like, you know, like he would just be, this is the most boring thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. I swear I will never watch another one of these film things again. True, so help me God. True story. And then back to Robert. I wanted him to love and appreciate the Rocky movies as much as I do. Started him with four. Because four is the one you show a child. You yeah. don't start with uh, one. Or th- four, three or four. Three and four are the ones you show kids. Because three and I four. I vote three. Most- four, you still have. To, I mean, I'm sorry. I know four is more for kids, but at the same time, the robot. Yeah, if they just took the robot out of Rocky Four, it would be like perfection. You people, yeah. You people don't know what you're talking about. The robot is awesome, and my son loved it. He was like robots and exercise <laughs> and snow. Ah, oh, damn. And yeah, well, like, like the Rocky films <laughs> that got me into martial arts were like the Karate Kid and Ninja Turtles. Yeah, not exactly yeah. like high high art there, especially <laughs> high art in martial arts cinema. But the Z- you know, the, Wuxia, the Ninja Turtles. To be fair, <laughs> I will absolutely, I will absolutely argue to my dying day that the fight choreography and what they pulled off in those suits in the in the original Turtles movie is miraculous. Yeah. What else about Shang Chi? Uh, what else about Shang Chi, uh, Jonas? Robert, Christopher, Sal, whatever your name is. Yeah. <laughs> See, Alexis, he doesn't care about us that much. No. Shut yeah. up, Steve. <laughs> Which one of us is Steve? Yeah. I don't know anymore. <laughs> uh, so, that point being, that was just my experience. And again, I get why they did it. I, I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not, and I, I understand it, but you know, the question is not, the question is just, you know, what was my experience with the film? That's my experience. I don't like fair enough. And I don't hold that against the movie in the sense that I think it diminishes it. I mean, it's not a that's not really a fair criticism. Uh, We went over the middle act. The middle act is weak. It is very, very Mm -hmm. weak. Any issues with my assessment of the middle act? Did you want to weigh in on that? uh, No, I think you're mostly mostly correct. Okay. Uh, There's. I said this to you before we started, and I'm going to reiterate it. I wish this wasn't a Marvel movie, because I think it would have been better if you get away from some of the Marvel mandates. There's a few of these that I think are at play here. I'm convinced there's a version of this script, probably an early version, but a near-shooting version that does not have his sister in this at all. Mm-hmm. Like That's how much of an add-on she is. She feels like a studio note, we need strong, badass female, because we have Aquafina for jokes. And then Michelle Yeoh in the end, but we need we need a badass female in the middle for all the little girls. So, so I was thinking about you. Sister. So I was thinking about you about again, and I was thinking about our discussion about the Falcon Winter Soldier. And here's my thing about that shield. No, just kidding. Um, 
But he, I was thinking about uh, your 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 visceral reaction to Sharon Carter, and I, and when they may, and when they showed her taking over the Ten Rings. On the one hand, I'm like, that, I feel like that fits her character, given what we know about her. On yeah. the other hand, how many fucking Sharon Carters are we going to have in the Marvel universe now? All and I totally them. thought about you and how irritated you were by that. Well, it's just like how many super secret ancient organizations that are secretly steering geopolitical events through assassination know, right? do we need? I was expecting one of the ten ring assassins to like look over and see like a black widow with a sniper rifle and just like, hey, what's going on? We need that. <laughs> hey, that's my racket. Go ahead, Alexa. Yeah, see, Starbucks I, I afterwards. Say- I'm fine with having uh, Xiaoling take over the Ten Rings. Again, it actually works really well with the way her character is introduced and developed. We learn through the flashbacks and the story arcs that she was not allowed to train with her father and her brother, apparently, uh, when Wu was a bit on the patriarchal side. So, And she's like, if I couldn't take over my father's empire, I built my own. Oh, Again, that that's scene. actually... I hated that scene so much. Shut up, Robert. So <laughs> it doesn't need to be there. It is there for girl power. That's it. Wait, hang I on. liked you it. So, I'm so sorry. wait, many, hang on. Many years scene. ago, Robert said to me, I, I had a similar reaction, and Robert said to me, "Look, if I'm going to be on this podcast, I'm going to give my opinion. If he thinks it's stupid, it, you know, if he thinks it's stupid, you know, and you can disagree with that, but that's you know, he's it's. I got you, Robert, man." Thanks. <laughs> like I said, yes, it's a little girl powery, but I think it works developing her character, okay? I'm sorry that, yes, her character is female, but again, I... <laughs> Look, I, I apologize think... on behalf of her vagina, but you gotta understand, Sharon Carter. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I... Look, I had my beef with the Sharon Carter thing, too. Not so much mm-hmm. the idea of Sharon Carter starting this empire, just more than I thought that the idea of her being the one that was in charge of it, the lead up to it was very sloppy writing. I had no problem with the, I had no problem with the end result. I had a problem with the path with that one. To to, to back up your point, there's a much straighter line with a sister in, in Shang-Chi becoming the leader of the mob than Sharon Carter being the leader of the mob. Because that is a windy road. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that And I think it actually works really well. And furthermore, mm-hmm. I think if we hadn't had Sharon Carter and that Falcon and Winter Soldier with that stupid writing and that bad idea of the plot, I think we wouldn't be complaining about this nearly as much. I feel that Falcon and Winter Soldier has soured our taste of this idea a little bit. And Mark, I swear to God, if you bring up the shield thing one more time, I'm <laughs> flying down to Florida and I am kicking your ass. I be my guest. Mine forms to the every, left. Every podcast. We're going to talk about Ghost World. I'm bringing up the shield then. Um, go ahead, Robert. Well, I, I, I'm with you guys in the sense that I don't object to her taking over the Ten Rings. Like that, That's fine. That's cool. I just wonder if there... I feel there was a version of this script that did not have that her character in it at all. Right. And then they got a note, like, we need this. And they went, okay, he's got a sister. She does this. This can be your... Like, she, that, she feels a little tacked on in that respect, but... Yeah. I felt um, that she was a little more necessary for bringing Shang-Chi uh, back to his family. The idea Shang-Chi is someone who has spent the last 10 years distancing himself from his family name and his father as much as physically possible. For the record, I absolutely love the bit we're on the plane and he talks about changing his name from <laughs> Shang-Chi to Sean. And Aquafina's just like, wow, how lazy can you get? That's what you change your name to. Again, it's like, that's actually really funny. Yeah, no wonder I, your dad found you so fast. Exactly. <laughs> I feel that having uh, Xiaoling 
come in was the way to basically pull Shang-Chi back to his family, pointing out it's like, yes, your father is evil and your mother is dead, but your sister is still here. And she's in regardless of the past, you two still love each other. I felt that it helped cement the bond a little bit more rather than just having Michelle Yao was their aunt. I'm going to back up Robert's point and then and then I'll let you uh, we'll back to you again. But I'm going to back up your point in that. I'm okay with her being there because she's in the comics. I'm okay with her being there because of all the reasons that you just said, Alexis. But there was room for better writing and stronger writing and more of her being able to do stuff. Because, again, as Robert's pointing out, throughout most of the, you know, after the initial fight scene between the two of them, she just kind of feels like she's, she's, she feels like plot service and not an actual yeah. human being or a character. Um, and she doesn't feel like she has a whole lot to do. You know, even in the end fight, it's Shang-Chi's, you know, this this is Shang-Chi's arc, and she's just kind of there. And so I get what you're saying by she feels like a studio note character. Go ahead, Robert. I, I will say, look, to the credit of the writers, they got that note and they went, okay, what can we actually do with this? And they created something mm -hmm. that is not a detriment to the film. And yeah. ultimately, it's not a she's not a detriment. She's just a a little bit there. Um the other thing I the Excuse me for a second, guys. I need to step off because I just caught Cleo chewing my favorite shirt. I'll be right back. You do what you got to do. <laughs> Occasionally, the dogs must be disciplined. And I don't mean beaten. I mean, you have to set boundaries with dogs. So there was that. Um, they drag Aquafina's character. I'm not going to bag on Aquafina as an actress because I'm, I think you're entirely correct, Mark. She's there for comic relief and some of it hits, some of it really doesn't. But they never, to this movie's eternal credit, it's not afraid of quiet moments, and it's not afraid of character interactions. And it's not afraid to have consequences. I can't tell you how worried I was at the final battle after they kill the Cthulhu monster. I know it's not actually a Cthulhu monster, but they kill the Lovecraftian monstrosity. And I went, is everyone still going to go back in their body? Because I might throw <laughs> something at the screen. And, oh, and, good news! And thankfully, they didn't. Yeah. The third art, the third act, the entire finale. I have a big problem with this, and I'm going to, I'm going to try and preface this in the following way. That entire invasion and the final, and the final, and the fight, like the way that entire thing plays out. Mark, I'm going to ask you, what's the point? And I don't mean the plot. I mean, narratively, what's the point? I mean, if the point of this movie was for Shang-Chi hey, to... So, let, me, let me rephrase this. Because I know, I know what the point is. I'm not, I'm not asking in, a, in like some big, like, I don't understand this thing. I'm asking you, like, um, so by way of example, what's the point of Captain and Bucky fighting on the helicarrier and you know, bringing it down? Oh, uh, well, Bucky is trying to stop Cap from completing whatever the mission was at the end no, of the no, no. Soldier. Okay, oh, okay, no, All that's right. not the point. The point is Bucky going, Wait. you're not you're not my friend, you're my mission, and Cap telling him, well, then finish it because I'm with you to the end of the line. Okay. Yes, it's, the, the, the actual fight itself is like the, the set piece for it, action because we like explosions, but the more <laughs> emotional core of it is it's, Cap trying to bring Bucky back from his programming and yeah. and save his friend. Okay. So what you're saying is this that end fight scene between Wenwu and Shang-Chi does not have an emotional core? No, no. Okay. 
the fight between Shang-Chi and Wen Wu is the point. It is mm-hmm. the point of that entire finale is that moment at the end after the rings are all on the ground and he's and this grieving husband and father is desperately going, she's on the other side of that gate. Let me bring her back. She made our family real. She made me a better person. Let me quit stopping me from doing this. And he goes, I'm sorry, Dad. I wish that were true. That's the point. Okay. Not your wannabe Cthulhu monster fighting leftover <laughs> fighting leftover CGI assets of Jormungandr from the most recent God of War game. So is your issue that you felt cheated that it's the monster eats when we're well, no, he has no. He can die there. Okay. I don't need five more minutes of a CGI schlock fest that's designed to make five-year-olds stand up and cheer. I, okay. I think I, I think I'm, I understand where Robert's coming from, and we're actually in somewhat agreement here. If, if you don't mind me uh, taking over for a minute. No, go ahead. Yeah. So, like I said, like the the film is strongest when it focuses on the family drama, right? You know, like I, I was mentioning yeah. before, uh, you know, the whole, you know, like when was you know, saying to Shang-Chi, you know, why didn't you do anything to save your mother? You were there. It's like, I was six, dad, with like almost no martial arts training. There were 50 guys. Mom is like an immortal, was a former immortal martial arts master from a magical village that fights demons. And she couldn't even win. Like, I would have just been a, you know, you would have walked home to a dead mom, and a dead wife and a dead son. You know, I, I mean, he didn't say that in the film, but you know, like if they had done more with that, relationship or even mm-hmm. like even getting back to like the sister character how it's like yo you left me alone because you were dealing with your own issues and now you come back into my life and you expect to be forgiven well that also could mirror you know uh shang chi's relationship with wen wu where it's like you know i'm you know i was broken by your mother's death and you know instead of being there to comfort you and guide you through this grieving process i just put the rings back on and started punching people and training yeah. you to be an assassin right. so, so when you just needed a dad like but instead of diving into all that deep family stuff and sort of having that brought out through the conflict of you know like shang chi you know punching it out with wen wu at the end instead it's just kind of like okay well i unleashed the cthulhu monster and now we have a 20 minute cgi battle where we watch computers yeah. fight each other which doesn't I, really have I, any, I get, any I get, there's no depth to that other than right. save the universe. I get the criticism. I really do. I understand what you're, what you're saying now, Robert, that, you know, the, the conflict was between the father and the son and we didn't need the 10 extra minutes of him fighting a dragon and leveling up. I get it. Yeah. If they had cut the CGI monster fight for the fate of the universe or scaled it way back and devoted that time to more fleshing out the family drama, Kung Fu, Ten, Ten Rings type stuff, well, I think it would have been a much, much well, stronger film. Let me propose this. What if you did it Hobbit style, right? And had a second breakfast. No, just kidding. What if you did it Hobbit style where you actually don't show much of the fight with the dragon? Have the sister jump on the Chinese protector dragon and she fights the thing, but it's kind of happening off camera, like what's happening with the battle of the five armies. But your central thing is still between crazy old Wen Wu and his son, Chang Chi. And then yeah, when, you, and, and when it's over the camera, you know, point of view from Shang Chi looks over dead Cthulhu thing, Victoria's sister. Like I was, more, more I was thinking more, I was thinking more on the lines of like, 
Doctor Strange when he fights Dormammu, where there's not really that much of a fight. I mean, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange was he outsmarts Dormammu through a creative use of magic, but it's just kind of like okay, there's the if we're gonna have the demon there, the demon's there. It like maybe almost gets out, but because Shang Chi is able to reach through to his dad and make him realize you're on the wrong path, his mm-hmm. dad realizes, oh no, I've made a horrible mistake. We have to seal this thing away before it gets out. Maybe he self-sacrifices oh, yeah. using yeah. the rings. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do not know the perfect way to rewrite the ending of this film. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you pitch me that ending the way you guys are and you don't have a major dragon fight, I'm going to ask you to put a dragon fight in. Well, then maybe just don't have the dragon fight in. <laughs> you, know, I, 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 like, you don't need to have end game level stakes in every movie. I mean, look at the Deadpool movies. Like mm-hmm. They keep their stakes very small. You know, it's like, let's just stop this kid from going crazy and murdering this guy's family in the future. Let's right. just, you know, get, find the guy that made me look like a shriveled up mess and get him to fix me. Oh, he can't, but my girl accepts me anyway. Like, you know, the Deadpool movies, to their credit, keep the stakes pretty low during them. Because, again, it's just the fun of watching Deadpool be Deadpool. And so, like, for Shang-Chi, like, I don't need them. I don't need everything to be at end game level stakes going forward in the MCU for it to still be a compelling story. The compelling era of the story is you know, like, will Shang-Chi have to kill his dad or will he be able to save him? Will he be able to fix his, these How relationships? Is, what you know, it, could, it could just, it could even just be, okay, dad's gone crazy. We need to stop him from massacring a village. We need to, you know, like we need to reconnect him to his humanity that he thinks he cannot get without having his wife being alive. All right, Robert, go ahead and finish. Well, you know, say, how you know what's Luke gonna do when he confronts Darth Vader in the throne room, right? right. Like that—that's—that's that's the dynamic we needed here. You know what that scene was missing was a big dragon. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> and how dare you say that George Lucas is gonna try and do that now? Yes, he did. Didn't you guys watch the first episode of season two of the Mandarin or Mandalorian? Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfectly understandable slip up. <laughs> Freudian slip, massive yeah. Freudian slip. This, uh, this week on Darth Vader and the Winter Soldier. Go ahead, Robert. Yes. <laughs> that's a crossover we need. I got this robot arm, buddy. I got a robot body. Yes, <laughs> and asthma. Please continue, Robert. Oh um, for the record, no, I don't watch The Mandalorian or The Mandarin. <laughs> I don't know. I'd give that a shot. <laughs> uh, so look, the point is they fu- them fighting at that. You still want to have everyone else have something to do. So the soul suckers coming out of the portal after when we was damaged it, we're golden, right? That's great. Do that. That's fine. You can even wake the dragon up a little bit at that point and have it flying around in the background. Okay, cool. We get to see a dragon on screen. I'm not going to object to that. I'm not a complete heathen, but you're the, the climax of that fight is those two putting down their weapons and sharing their grief. Everything after is just, it exists, but it's so masturbatory. It doesn't need to be there. It doesn't, it's, it's bad fan service. Okay. How I would have done it for whatever my take is worth. You extend their fight scene a little bit. They talk more, they punch more, they get a little bit closer. The end is them, you know, sharing a hug and a sob over the loss of this woman that they both loved only to discover that the portal's been too damaged by their fight for it to just go back to being normal. It now has to be resealed. And the father, we still get that great moment as he's, as the father is self-sacrificing to seal it, where 
he remembers all the time with his son and that he really does love him and then passes the rings on to him. Like, we still get that sequence because that's a great sequence. Like, that's actually straight out of a lot of Korean film. Korean cinema will do that a lot with a character that dies, especially one a movie where they're really going for an emotional core. They'll they flashback the, like that. They did that with Spider-Man too. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great trick, and I don't say trick as a pejorative. It's a great thing to do. We still get that the father goes away. We can save the dweller in the dark for a sequel, or you know something for some other. If this guy's going to be a big threat, if he's supposed to be a big threat. This is my problem with the power creep that's gone on in the MCU. Now everything has to threaten the world in, in every movie, and it, you just don't need it. The threat is there. That's fine. The story is the father and the son, primarily. Let that be it. We don't need more. Let it be that. Then you And then you have this other big extra-dimensional... Uh, you can even do a jobber to the stars thing. He could be an Ultron, right? He could be a character that doesn't have an overarching thing. He's introduced here, shows up in an Avengers movie or some other big team up movie. If you wanted to do the Civil War thing and do like, you know, a Avengers 2.5 or whatever, two and a half and have the Dweller in the Dark show up there as just this big unthinking threat and existential threat to the world that our heroes have to come together over. Like we instead you kill it off. You kill it off after a big 10 minute CGI fest that was, again, somewhat hard to follow that didn't really need to be there and didn't even really fit with what you were doing in this movie. So yeah, yeah, that, it, yeah that the, the scene well. was, it was there to be there. It wasn't really there for any thematic. You got to give the people what they want, want though. You know, no, you don't but, do they? No, you like, do. I, I, you've already given the people what they want in this movie. I, I want it, martial arts. That's what I want. I want yeah, punching that, and kicking in really cool ways. Sorry, guys. I got to disagree with you. I think if they had ended it without uh, the one who dwells in darkness getting out, I think the film would have been a little bit too um, anticlimactic. Yeah, boring. I think it would have been boring as hell. I think I understand where you guys are coming from. The idea of sealing this creature away and using him as a sequel bait, if you will. But frankly, I think if they hadn't used him and just been like, and it's sealed and now we all live happily ever after. I think yeah. fans would have been incredibly I th- disappointed. I think you'd have had an audience blue balls. And look, I don't. I think on a on a more ethereal level, Robert, I agree with you. I think there's a better film to be made out of what they did by making some not so fan pleasing moments. But you know me, and while I can say this is the better artistic choice. I tend to fall on the side of, but this is this choice that sells more tickets because that's the name of the game. Do, 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 I know, do. and look, this is how we get Michael Bay. Indeed. That's, and that is to the detriment of society and humanity at large. But this what, is, else? Like, what, else? what else? What else? What uh, else? I want to give credit to the writing of... I'm with you on Shang-Chi kind of being a empty character. To the credit of Simu Liu, uh, does as good with that as he could have done. You know, he's he's enough of a martial arts practitioner to do a lot of the own stunt work. He doesn't look stupid when he's uh, when he's the one doing it. Whoever they have standing in for him in more technical stunt work does a good job. I want to give him credit. He does a good job with what he's given. He's just not given a whole lot. I want to give credit to the writing of Wenwu. I was terrified they were going to make him a cheap, stupid entry into the pantheon of Marvel villains. And what we got was a much more human character 
one who was a bad guy, then, as many people are, is he is changed by the events in his life. He finds love, he finds a family, and he leaves it all behind. And then after tragedy, he defaults back to it. And he just, and he wants to be the better version of himself again. He just doesn't know how without his wife. He's the most interesting character in this entire film. By, I ab- by a country mile. Agree. He's the best villain Marvel's put out. He's one of the three. Since Robert best. Redford. He's one of the, well, Thanos came out since then. And I maintain Thanos. Um, I don't know. I put Ego up there pretty high as one of the uh, better I think villains. Killmonger also deserves a shout uh, out. I Killmonger, yeah. What about the Abomination? actually okay okay this is the topic for a discussion though because we see after wong fights the abomination that they're actually training and they leave together uh i shared a link on the uh marvel mcu chat that we have talking about or with an art the article is talking about how um this could be leading to the dark avengers maybe wong is training a team uh, for some reason, what do you I'm, think about I maintain that? it's it's we're probably going. It's probably going to be more of like a Thunderbolts kind of a thing. Eh, Dark Avengers Thunderbolts, tomato, tomato, damn ch- sandwich. Who gives a shit? Your question is: Are we are we are we putting together a team of villains and near dwells and whatnot? Uh, probably, Robert. Uh, yeah. There. Look, here's the other. Here's <clears> the really <throat> interesting thing about what the MCU does. While they do have stuff planned out, a lot of this is. It's monkeys. It's throwing monkeys throwing feces and seeing what sticks. And then if some, and I don't mean that pejoratively. If I something, think you just, I think you just completely blasphemized uh, oh. the uh, put a thousand mon- a mil- an eternity of monkeys in a room with an eternity of keyboards, and eventually they'll produce Shakespeare. On the they subject will. of the abomination, before this goes any further, he is going to be in the She Hulk. So whatever it is they're planning on doing with him, this is the first step, and I'm sure of a, of a thousand step journey. With the abomination and several other characters yeah but they're certainly very they are very flexible with their plans yeah like they they throw a bunch of stuff out there and a little bit of it is let's see what the audience reacts to and let's see what some of the other you know directors and story writers want to do you know if you go back and you rewatch iron the original iron man there's a bunch of crap seated in there that they never pay off some of it involving the ten rings like there was actually one of the ten rings in the movie like the the terrorist guy had that and they had the same logo as the as the ten rings in in uh you know Shang Chi. But you know, that was never really addressed past that film. Actually, can I jump in? Sure. There is that uh, dialogue that Wen Wu gives during the supper de- scene because ha- he talks about how groups have bastardized what he mm, built. True. Hence when he talks about uh Trevor Slattery, that's what I got out of it. Fair point. That's you know, definitely a ne- fair point. Now I agree it took way too long to build back up to that. Yeah. I would say if you want to talk about plot points in the Iron Man going nowhere, let's talk about the faux Captain America shield. Yeah. Like that has mm-hmm. never been explained. And never yeah. and it never will be. And yeah. again, this is they throw a bunch of stuff out there and then between what the audience reacts to and what other writers and directors want to do with their properties, they look back and they see what they can pull from. Yeah, but I'm, it, I'm pretty sure when they did, sorry to cut in, but I, like, I am pretty sure like when they did that initial 10 rings thing in the first Iron Man movie, they weren't going, okay, so in 2021, we're going to do Shang-Chi. And, you know, <laughs> like, like they, they didn't have things planned out to that extent. They weren't, just even, kind of, they weren't even owned by Disney. They were still being distributed by fucking Paramount back then. It was a whole other world. It was before the yeah. world ended and reset itself, Robert. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you, I, I when was the when was the best character? Go. 
He, yeah, he really is. And I, I just want to give credit for that. Look, Marvel's villains have been a giant weak spot in what they do. And we've all not, we've all mentioned it. We've all acknowledged it. It's still true. On occasion, they hit a good one, but freak, but most of them are Caecilius. Most of them are Caecilius or Malekith. Oh God, Malekith. <laughs> or Jeff Gold. You wasted a perfectly good Christopher Eccleston. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that isn't worthy of getting pissed off. Dude, they they wasted Eccleston, and then they wasted Mads Mikkelsen. Like, how can you waste the, that? That's darn near criminal. But the point is, you know, or you know, they're Whiplash or they're Sam Rockwell. Like these, they're just there. They're treated as jobbers in the pro wrestling parlance, and it's a giant weakness in this particular. Actually, I love Sam Rockwell. When Jeff and I reviewed Iron Me, um, Iron Maiden. No, that's tomorrow. <laughs> when Jeff and I reviewed Iron Man 3, I referred to Sam Rockwell's character as functionally retarded. You mean Iron Man 2? Sure. That one also. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's a weakness, and I just wanted to give them give the actor and give the writing credit for this character. He's not treated as a moron. He's not tre- he is treated as a human being. Uh, nuanced, flawed, but given complexity and depth and i just there's not enough of that in the mm-hmm. mcu so kudos i, I g- genuinely want to express that uh i think the only thing i would have liked to seen more out of when Wu is that and it's a minor thing but i wish we could have gotten one or two scenes showing just how ruthless he is as a gang leader of the 10 rings you always get this scene where somebody pisses off the the leader and he's like oh really and he you know just doesn't even hesitate to you know stab him in the jugular or something Mm. when Wu is you're right he is an incredibly dynamic very passionate almost sympathetic villain you get where he's coming from but I would have liked to have seen a little bit where it's like, okay, but this guy is still the leader of the fucking Ten Rings. Yeah. You know, let's just see one moment where he yeah. says, oh, you think, oh, you think this is funny? Well, fuck you, pal. I, I needed a shot of him overseeing a bunch of trucks pulling up and drugs going out one way and whores going out the other. I needed, you know, I needed him. I, I needed scenes of him selling guns. I needed, you know. I needed I, one scene of him actually showing he's evil. I, I, yeah. I, got, I, got, I like the closest we got was sort of when he goes into the restaurant to avenge his wife. Uh, but we, I think like maybe like what if he had gone into like one of their houses and you hear the screams of like the wife and daughter where he just, you know, he, he is so blinded by rage that, yeah, women, children, pets, like, yeah. I'm just, yeah. I will make you feel the pain that I have felt. And I don't care if I have to murder the innocent to do it. Or when you find out Shang-Chi, the, the people that he, the person he sent him to kill, like again, he has to like kill innocents or something like that, or the person's yeah, turn their life. Or I mean, I assume we were probably going to get more details on that in you know subsequent Shang Chi. I've really, stuff. I've really got to say how much I hate the way they handled you know that bit with him. Like, oh, I couldn't do it. Well, no, but I really did it. But we don't actually have a flashback for this, but literally for everything else in my life. And yeah, and he just yeah, that's Chris for the mail in future installments. I'm sure. I'm sure, but it's still poor filmmaking. I, 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 I was I was just almost waiting for him to say like, oh, and it was like your grandfather to like, you know. If you're gonna bring it up in the movie, you gotta show it. And I yeah. and I agree with you, Robert. It's sort of weak, so it's, because I know why they did it. If they show your hero doing a bad thing, you're gonna lose a portion of the audience. Which is what they want. They want him to be 
Asian Captain America, Asian Iron Man, and you're not going to you're not going to hit that level of buy in for the audience if you show him doing a bad thing. Never mind how many people Tony Stark killed. Never mind how many people Tony Stark killed on camera, even <laughs> <laughs> or how many murder bots he built. But we've already had those discussions. Yes, yes, we have. Yeah. yeah so I... point B. So the point there is he, he just goes, yeah, no, I, I remember I told you I couldn't do it. Well, I did. Like, he doesn't even say I killed the guy. Like, mm. they go so <laughs> I murdered them, the women and the children. <laughs> there was so much sand. <laughs> and it gets everywhere. Robert, wrap up, please. Like, this was almost some like, here's another obscure reference. This was I have one more like... point before we go to the next okay. segment, but please, Robert, finish. Yeah. When this did was... you talk, start talking so much, David? Jesus, you, you, you were like five minutes in any given podcast and like, oh, I'm done now. We get you on Shang-Chi and I have charts and diagrams and I have I have an essay that I wrote here and I'd like to bring you're, my wife what on. What can I say, Mark? You're, you're in my wheelhouse. I, I actually have things to say. <laughs> I should have done a fucking... Be careful separate, what you wish for. I should have done a separate podcast with just you. Go ahead, Robert. <laughs> so, uh, point being, that was almost some like... Uh, like Saturday morning cartoon for kids level <laughs> censorship about he killed a guy. Mm -hmm. I can't say killed. I can't even say destroyed. I have, well, I did it. Well, what'd you do? I can't say it. <laughs> a little, a little, you know, a little, I, I, look, I had a knife and the, and I can't, and we can't even, like, it, it was, it was just poorly handled and it, it bothered me the way they handled that. So I, that's a, another bit of criticism I have. Um. Oh, last thing. There's bits in this movie where um, where Shang-Chi and Aquafina's the way they interact and they play off each other feels very good. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of times, like any time they're eating, when it feels very rehearsed. It just feels like, uh, especially when they're like with their friend who's you know kind of giving them grief over being you know un immature, directionless. Yeah, yeah, and they're just. I did this, no, then you did this. And like the way they go back and forth, it's meant to feel like these people are very natural together and it doesn't. It feels like, it feels rehearsed. I do I love the line they give, I love the line they give Aquafina later. If you, aim, if you aim for nothing, you will hit nothing. It's a very good line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I disagree. Yeah. I thought they had fine chemistry together, but to each mm -hmm. his own. Yeah. Uh, I think that's more or less it as far as that goes. So again, apart from parts of the CGI making my eyes bleed, especially during the flashback, man, there's one scene in particular, like the very beginning when they're introing the father, mm -hmm. he knocks over, uh, like a, some, I can't remember if it was a carriage or a cart, but one of those things and gold spills out and it looks like a PlayStation graphic. Like it, it looks so bad. I can almost I count the polygons. All right, David, give me the short history of Asia, starting with the Pangea. Go. Okay. Well, first the center of the earth cooled. Then the dinosaurs came. They got too big and fat, so they all died out. And then came the Romans, and they all bought Mercedes-Benzes. And Leon's getting larger. larger. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, no, I'm not going to go with that level, Ed. No, like, you know, you like, remember when you were sort of lamenting me not being there on the Odd Taxi review? Well... Uh, vengeance is mine. A little bit. Yeah. Well, actually, how, how angry were you at the two of us when that was all over? I wasn't really angry. I mean, like you were fairly good given your your knowledge pool. Like the only mm -hmm. person I could make is not everything's about the atomic bomb. I know. Uh, that, that, that that was kind of the only like real thing I would have like 
taken serious issue with. I mean, I probably could have. When I asked, clarified when I asked, some things a bit, but when I asked Robert to give me the short history of lonely Japanese men, did you throw a plate across the room? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Though, uh, I mean, this is the wrong podcast to put it in. But if you're really interested, there's a great book called Shutting Shutting Out the Sun: How Japan Created Its Own Lost Generation, which sort of details the hikikomori and uh, okay. those issues. Okay. So, if you really want to do a deep dive, that's great. But anyway, in the interest of like finishing this podcast, <laughs> I was going to say, so Loki. Yeah. Yeah, so Loki, steal my catchphrase. Uh, but uh, no, like my, my one thing is like with the, the Aquafina character, sort of her arc, which kind of wasn't much of an arc. Like they sort of do the bit where, you know, where, yeah, she's the shiftless layabout where it's like, oh, you know, like I, I always tried other things, but then they were really hard. So I decided not to. And that sort of thing. And then she just, you know, she does archery for a day and she gets to do the winning one in a million shot sort of thing. Uh, like, if, if they'd sort of take, I mean, I know like you, she needs to do something because she's there. Um, it's even kind of like when we had uh, Ben Kingsley like showing up in the in the, like you know the lineup for the final fight. It's like, what is he doing here? Acting like he's dead. Admit it though, the scene of him playing soccer with the little kids was so stinking cute. Oh, th that was great, but it's like you called an offside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, though, that was great, but it was just like at the at the very end when when like you know the the hell beasts are coming and you know they're they're making the final stand, both sides have united, and it's like, what's he gonna do? Like it's just you know just run, man. No one's gonna hold it against you. Like you're just at least he tried. At least he tried. Yeah, true, and, and, but... and again, the scene of him with when Morris comes in, I was like, no, I'm playing dead. You do the same, and then Morris just bet falls yeah, over on his back. Like, the... That was awesome. That was so cute. Oh yeah, great little moments. But but yeah, so. I mean, yeah, back to the whole Aquafina thing. So, yeah, like just having it just be she's there, so she makes the winning shot because she has faith in herself or something like that. If it just sort of been like, you know, yes, I know it's hard, but if you actually stick with it, you'll get better at it and it won't be so hard. And you'll actually feel rewarded for the hard work and learn that this is actually how you accomplish better things in life. Like, like, like I mean, I know it's kind of like, you know, my stereotypical Chinese grandma, you proved her right. But, but if, if they had you know, put that as sort of like a better end to her arc where she said kind of, oh, okay. Like I kind of get why everyone's kind of pushing me to do more now because with more effort comes more rewards. And and like, yeah, even at the end where it had kind of like shown her, like she goes back to her family and now she's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll actually go back to school or I'll, you know, try doing something with my life or, you know, I have a newfound appreciation for the culture that I have come from, not just the culture that I live in. Like it would just kind of been a nice little, yeah, but now she has I mean, to jury to his Black Panther. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's not a huge thing. It's just that that was kind of like my last thing that kind of made it. Oh, gee, I wish I could mention that. But and on that note, I am done. We can continue. I'll be quiet now. All right, here so comes. If I can actually say something about the whole Aquafina getting the archery thing, if I may, <laughs> I did think there was actually some subtext to why she was able to make the shot. We, these letters start shooting the arrows. She, she actually hits the target pretty close on her first try. She's like, oh, my God, I did that. I always thought it was taken. It's like she had natural talent with archery, and the teachers at Ta Lo were some of the best in the world. I personally thought that that's what they were going with, and that's why she was able to make the shot. I'll admit it's a little forced, but I didn't think it was as um, Mary Sue as Robert's making it out to be. I don't it's think it was Mary Sue-ish. Uh, it was just... I don't know. It, it just felt weird. Uh, it, I, I'm with you in the sense that she demonstrated natural ability. That was a nice thing to show. And 
I don't know. I mean, I suppose at some point you just have to accept that Luke Skywalker makes the impossible shot on occasion. I mean, look, you got to give characters something. If we if they don't if we don't give characters something to do, we're on this podcast bitching the characters had nothing to do and they were a waste and they were do nothings. Which you know, how's that working out? Yeah. All right. With that said, we have now been at this at ninety minutes. So, here comes a long, in-depth discussion of the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, On a budget of $150 million, this thing has earned at the time of recording, which is Tuesday night, $150.9 million. Um, I want to address this right at the top before we before this goes any further. There are two schools of thought. There's the um, this thing is a flop school, and then there is the this thing is a triumph school. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. And here's uh, and here's the thing, Robert. Um, and I want to engage you on this. Of course, David and Alexis, you're welcome to join in the discussion as well. But this is this is really like the two arguments. And I and and like I said, I, I have a problem with someone taking this too far to any one side. On the one hand, the pro argument that this thing is a wild success is that it beat the Labor Day record held by Halloween 2007. Um, that made $30 million in its Labor Day weekend. This thing made something like I think it's three day was it's three day total was in the 70 million range. And then um, it's four day was 90 was like 94 million. Um, it's three day total is second only in 2021 to Black Widow. And so everyone's like, it's marvelous. What a success. Holy cow. It's shattering records. Okay. Here's something you need to know about Labor Day. Nothing comes out then. Okay, the reason why Shang-Chi is doing so well is, is because it's normally a movie that would have debuted in the summer or in November or in May, but it would never have debuted on Labor Day. Nobody puts anything. I went every single year. From 2007 to 2020, nothing comes out Labor Day weekend because nobody goes to the movies. So me and Robert in a sissy slap fight and then making love on camera probably could have broken a record on Labor Day weekend. Nothing makes money. Mark, (laughs) I will haunt you until your dying days for putting that mental image in my head. Robert and I in a mad sexual embrace captured in IMAX in full... 3D coming at you in feel around what have made money on Labor Day. That <laughs> um, I that I'm sure I still wouldn't be paid for. <laughs> Probably not. But hey, when I make money, you make money. How about that? Listen to me now. So this this is headline that it shatters Labor Day records. Yes, another way of saying what it did. Tallest fucking midget. Yeah. Calm the fuck down everyone singing this thing's praises for its financial success. Please put things in perspective. Go back through the Labor Day for the last decade or so. There isn't a hit movie amongst them. Halloween was kind of it. On the other hand, the people in the cottage industry of negative YouTube videos about things they don't like in nerd culture, you people need to calm the fuck down too. Because they're all saying this thing's like this humongous flop because it only made between 70 and 90 million between the three to four day period. Did we forget there's a pandemic happening and people aren't going to the fucking movies? And Robert, 
you and I, before the show started, put together a little chart. And the headline of that chart reads as such. Of the 18 movies that we looked at that were number ones or the big hit movies of the weekends between Godzilla vs. Kong and Shang-Chi, how, of the 18 movies, how many of them uh, are right now profitable? Using only the theatrical run, because we do not have access to something like the numbers for premier access on Disney+, Plus, which would be the big kind of mitigating factor. Using only box office dollars, uh, only eight of the 18 have been profitable. So if you're going to call this a flop, you have to call the other eight movies a flop too. And those eight movies are what, Robert? Um, let's see. The Suicide Squad, Jungle Cruise, Snake Eyes, Space Jam 2, uh, The Hitman's Wife's Body, oh, A Giant Wet Fart, <laughs> In the Heights, Cruella, Spiral, Mortal Kombat, yeah, that's it. And fun fact about of those particular eight movies, I believe six of them have confirmed sequels, if not seven. So again, if you're going to sit there and make a 20 minute video about this is the end of Marvel and this thing's a giant flop and wow, 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 you then have to have the same level of anger and righteous fury with all these other movies. And maybe I missed something. And Alexis, if you want to weigh in here, you f tend to follow trends and some stuff on YouTube. Do you recall people getting all hot and bothered at the level they are at Shang-Chi for any of the movies Robert just mentioned? No, not that I've seen. If anything, like like you mentioned, most people are just grateful to see how uh, how much money it made. But I honestly attributed most of the success to not so much the, oh, it's a Labor Day thing, but more the movies in theaters are now making more money than they had. Maybe we can take this as a sign that things are finally getting better with the pandemic. That's more the trend that I've seen in the articles. Um, before we continue, I just needed to get that out there that I, I, like I said, I feel like the success of this movie, if you're being fair, is somewhere in the middle of those two arguments, not one or the other, both sides really need to get a hold of themselves. Um, real quick. Hey, Robert, what did you think of the, mu the music in Shang-Chi? Shang uh, it was so good. I barely acknowledged it. it well, it, if you... It just exists. Like, well, if, if you want to get a refresher on the music, you should check out our link for getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Let's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. We're offering a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Uh, click the link, sign up for the, sign up for the service, uh, try it out for 30 days. If you like it, you keep it, and you pay the monthly fee. If you don't, you cancel it. No fuss, no muss, no contracts, no pains in the butt. All right. With all of that out of the way... Um, we can move on to how the weekend that was was. Obviously, Shang-Chi, uh, Shang I keep mispronouncing it, uh, came in at number one. Uh, just looking at uh, September 3rd through September 5th, the traditional three-day weekend, um, it debuted at number one. Candyman fell from one to two. Free Guy, two to three. Jungle Cruise stayed at four. Paw Patrol... <laughs> the last movie Paramount's putting out this year after uh, they kicked uh, Tom Cruise's Maverick to uh, to next year. I'm sorry, Dave. Tom, I'll say Tom Cruise kind of got fisted this year, didn't he? It's like I think at least two or three movies he's in have all been pushed. Uh, yeah, the both Mission Impossible because he has Mission Impossible that's been pushed off, and the mm -hmm. and uh, the top 
they were going to have those released like a week after each other at one point because Paramount, in pushing all these things back, is now, pardon the language, tripping over its own dick. <laughs> anyway, the Param- scary thing is, that's not the worst decision Paramount's made this year. Paramount's cleared the deck. Uh, they've just given up on 2020, except 2021, except there's a rumor that Paranormal Activity 7 is going to get moved from March 4th, which right now it's going up against Batman, but it's going to be um, Paramount Plus exclusive, not in theaters. In any case, it's supposed to come out the same day as Batman, but they're saying that it's locked and they can release it at any time. The rumor is it's going to be released close to Halloween. Uh, if it, Paramount, if anyone's listening, fucking get on with it already. Like, I got a schedule to keep here. I got to move things around. I got stuff I'm uploading. Can we, can we, hey, won't anyone Mark. listen to me? <laughs> Mark, Mark, I have bad news for you and it comes out of the Sony studios. Uh, is this about Venom? Again. No, are you not re- no, no, no. Like, I'm just Do not throwing... give this man a heart attack on air, please. <laughs> After all he's done to me, I would be fair. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they've... Con- no, like, that's just my joke at this point. Every other week, Venom is going to move. Yeah, it's going to be the... It's going to be like Peter Rabbit. Remember how many times that moved? Oh, yeah. Um. All right. So, Don't Breathe 2 fell from 5 to 6. Respect, which I saw over the weekend with my wife at home. That is already available on VOD. Uh, that fell from 6 to 7. Enjoy that uh, so, bit of Oscar bait there, did you? Well, that was a long movie, man. Woo-wee! <laughs> long as long as in just it took forever, or long as it put a bullet in my head and get me the fuck out of here. I mean, it's like a three-hour movie. I, it felt that's long as the woman's wife. I, you know, I, I <laughs> they showed everything but her singing at WrestleMania and Vince McMahon going, the queen of soul, Aretha Franklin. Blah, 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 blah. They should have. They should have absolutely shown her singing in the Silver Dome. I absolutely agree with you, but they had to show her fucking drinking herself to death. Um, like you do in a musical biopic. Anyway, um, Black Widow jumped a few spaces. It went, went back up again from 12 to 9. The Night House, 9 to 10. And then rounding out the top 20 are Protégé. Old Green Knight and Egg Rescue, Stillwater Flag Day, The Boss Baby, S9, uh, The Lost Leonardo, and finally Cruella. Cruella Deville. All right. Uh, worldwide, we've got uh, Hi Mom, still the number one movie in the world. F9 finally crawled its way up to number two at $710 million. It is the most successful American made movie uh, during the pandemic. So, uh, get ready for more of those. Detective Chinatown 3, and then everything else is pretty much where we last left it. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong, Black Widow, A Quiet Place, Free Guy, Cruella, The Conjuring, and Chinese Doctors rounding out at $197 million. There is... I don't even need to read the fucking calendar at this point. There is nothing between now and October 1st. Um, so Shang-Chi has a solid three weeks to make as much money as it's going to make um, Robert, I'm going to just take a stab and it's going to be kind of a cowardly stab, but a stab nonetheless. I think this thing clocks in at 300 to 500 million. What do you think? It's currently at 150 worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide. Uh, that seems like a safe bet somewhere in that range. My, my gut instinct at the moment might be closer to five than to three, but Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I couldn't remember if China decided to air this thing or not because oh, of if, course oh of course they did. Do you know, dude? You have any idea what Disney was willing to do to make sure they air their movies? Well, how they, many people in the Chinese parliament did they blow? Did Bob Iger personally blow? That's what I want to know. All of them. The answer okay. Is yes. Do you have video because we should review that next? No. Bob Iger blows China. 
No, and look, they they are obviously somewhat sticking to their guns when it comes to the Eternals, which is part of the reason some people. I'm not here to. I'm not here to rehash the Eternals debate. Please don't. I'm I'm not. I'm sorry I made sexual innuendos with you. I apologize, sir. Please don't. (laughs) The only thing that I'm, the only reason that one, part of the reason that gets brought up is that's directed by the uh, woman who directed Sad Piano, the movie. Yeah. And And got an Oscar for it. Don't forget she got an Oscar for Sad Piano. Okay. Oscar winning director for Sad Piano, the movie. Yes. And she has been highly critical of the Chinese government. Right. For very good reasons, because there's much to criticize about the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. And they have banned her movies from playing in China. And when all you're making is Nomadland, no one cares. Right. When you're making The Eternals, not being in the biggest movie market in the world, right. which is China these days, not the United States anymore, that's kind of a big deal. Well, that, that was why I said on the... I'm having trouble understanding right now. Please try a little later. Thank you. Um, that was why I asked about the Chinese market. I, I hadn't looked that closely to see where and what markets this is ha- this has opened or will be opening. If it opens all over Asia, I think you're right. I think it gets closer to 500 million. That's that's what got F9 all the way to 700 million because it wasn't because in the U.S. it only made like 100 and some odd million. It's what um, got Venom a fucking sequel. Okay, but that was a thousand years ago. I'm talking about now, where everyone's diseased and dying. Okay, the only thing that made F9 any money was the rest of the world and not the United States. True. So again... Another reason to hate the rest of the world. Indeed. But so the math on this is if this opens worldwide with nothing in its way, I think it gets closer to 500 million, maybe even does more. Who the hell knows? Um, If this doesn't open in China and some other places... Then yeah, it's probably going to only make around three hundred million because there's nowhere left. There's nowhere left for it to go for people yeah. to see it. Um, I do but, believe it's doing good in Japan. Okay, probably like, I, like number one spot. Well, that's the other thing. And, and Dave, maybe you can answer this because you're the authority on everything Asian from the beginning of time. Um, <laughs> yes, Wushu. Um, <clears throat> don't you did there. Thank you. Don't <laughs> the Asians typically prefer their own homemade shit than our nonsense nonsense that we try to sell them? Even when it's their nonsense that we're selling. I would say in Japan, no. Okay. Uh, I haven't actually had. I I haven't. I haven't seen this like as a deep uh, dive here. I could ask my wife uh, Mm -hmm. after the podcast. But uh, at least from what I saw from the outside, like Hollywood movies certainly get good billing in Japan. There are no problems at all with uh, promotion and being able to see them. Thinking more of the Chinese market, I keep seeing stuff that says the Chinese are more or less done with Hollywood. They want to make their own shit and see their own shit. Uh, I'm not sure on China. I've actually never been to China. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say too much about them culturally. I mean, certainly they have the, the funding to yeah. make big scale productions on the Hollywood level. And, uh, like, I think they're, you know, like, as time goes on, they're going to get more and more better at doing it on their own. Like China is a very fast learning country. Like even right. you know, as much as we might joke about the quality of their products and the level of their technology not being equal to, like say America yet, but the right. rate that they're improving is incredibly fast. So it's only a matter of time. So again, my internal math on this, Robert, is that even if it opens in China, but the Chinese nowadays would prefer to see their own homemade shit than our not homemade nonsense that we sell back to them. I then I don't see it doing well over there. So who knows? But that's that's sort of my juggling of ideas with this i'll give you the last word on the money and then we'll we'll move on to the next thing 
I'm not going to hail this as some smashing success financially because I don't think it is. But I also, I think there's a lot of people who wish this was a catastrophe for whatever reason. Yeah, that that's a whole other validation. And, and look, Mark, you and I talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago. And ultimately, we landed on you being more pessimistic about people going to see this than I was. Mm -hmm. which is odd for you to be the more pessimistic one, but there we were. I mean, how many Ghostbusters, you know, arguments are we going to have before I finally just give up on humanity? You well, haven't you, yet? The key is to give up on humanity first. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, as the, as, the, as the optimist of the network, it, it took Ghostbusters Suicide Squad at all for me to get to the point where I was just done with you people. So, <laughs> Well, so uh, I think where I land on this, I think it it has to be considered a success by given any the reasonable of, metric. Yeah. Any reasonable metric. This is a successful movie and it's a successful launch and there's no, I'm not convinced that even if the world operate, were operating normally, this wouldn't have been very successful. Again, are we talking billion dollar picture? No, I don't think no. so. In the, in the alternate universe where um, we don't get uh a virus that shuts the world down. This does 700 million easy. Yeah, somewhere in that range, probably. So I, I think the people over at Disney and Marvel should are probably going to be very happy with their returns on this thus far. Mm -hmm. And we, they're finally ready to take whatever losses they're going to take on the chin. It seems to just keep the wheels turning. Yeah. Because if they delayed too much more, then the entire story setup of Phase Four gets all screwed up. Yeah, no, they 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 gotta they gotta maintain driving speed at this point, or yeah. the whole thing's gonna end up in a twenty car pileup. All right, moving on to uh, the next thing here. Ba -doop, ba -doop, ba -doop. Are you ready? Alrighty, this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. If you want to make a YouTube video slamming the Asian culture and everybody in it, you can use Grammarly. Never mind. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly everywhere else you write on the web. If you're on Twitter and you want to write tweets about how the Marvel Universe is dead and dying, Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network so that you too can tweet about the death of the Marvel Universe. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the critics loved it, 93%. The audience, oddly enough. I mentioned in our group Why? chat, I'm actually surprised this didn't get fucking not... review bombed. No, no, no. Hang on. Here, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Most movies that get review bombed have big enough problems with them to just, like, there's enough smokescreen, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, you have, there's absolutely the contingent of trolls that is going to do that anyway and find, whatever, you dismiss them. Right. But, I mean, we had problems with this movie, but ultimately... If you're asking me, is this a pass or a fail movie? It's a pass. It's a pass. I mean, I didn't, and I say that as someone who didn't necessarily like it, quote unquote. You know, this didn't, this was not a, I didn't enjoy it. But 
objectively pass fail, it's a pass. And I think they're, I also think Rotten Tomatoes has gotten a little bit better at avoiding the review bombs. Yeah, I was going to say, I think they worked into the code ways to not to prevent that, if at all possible. Critical No, if, if only they could work in ways to avoid review inflation. That because <laughs> that feels a little bit like we've got what we've got here. Well, that's a that's a whole other conversation. Critic consensus: Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is the most perfect thing. No, sorry, is entirely isn't entirely free of Marvel's familiar formula, but this exciting origin story expands the MCU in more ways than one. <laughs> the audience says Shang Chi covers new cultural ground for the MCU without losing any of its action, comedy, emotion. Marvel's movies are known for not enough Iron Man and Captain America. No, wait, that's that 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 last part was me. Um, all righty, so Robert. Dealer's choice. Should I, I, don't, should, I don't care. Which one should I read? Should I, should I try to find some rotten ones? I genuinely don't care. Uh, I oh, here we go. Ed Whitfield of the Ooh Tray. Ooh Tray. Robert. Boiled tofu. <laughs> okay. Really, I have no really idea tried. what the hell that's supposed. to well, you, you I know what he said. One somewhat Asian related in the public consciousness and put them together. <laughs> I know what he's, I know what this moron is trying to say. Do you? Because I don't. I do. Mark, I've told you this before. Tofu is nothing. Yes. It is a flavor sponge. Yes. So yeah, what, it's supposed to be cooked with other things to absorb so what, the flavor. So what happens when you boil it? It becomes bland. It's it already blander. is bland. Like, yeah. It turns into chalk. He's, okay. he's insinuating that this movie is bland, uninteresting, and boring. And while I somewhat agree with that, I also don't think that's a helpful review to phrase it in that particular way. Damon Fudge of KCCI Des Moines, Iowa. This is a fresh review, but this is ridiculous. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is one of the best MCU movies since Black Panther. I suppose if we're not counting either Avengers movie, sure. Yeah, I was I, like, I'm sorry, did somebody forget Infinity War exists? I suppose this gentleman is just trying very hard to pretend he's not white. <laughs> My, Michael McGrattigan of Isle Seat. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings marks the first time a Marvel movie has felt machine manufactured to the point of being laborious. Buddy? No. Don't, I'm not saying this isn't a machine manufactured movie that you you put it you took the mar this is the Marvel machinery turning over and nothing more. It's been that way for a while for the most part. I don't know why people are only now realizing this. Our not favorite to mention, you would have called this one laborious. I'm sorry, did you sit through Black Widow? <laughs> yeah. Um our new favorite reviewer, Kevin Carr of Fat Guy at the Movies. Oh, this guy. This guy. It's a standard story, and it absolutely works. It's unique to the Marvel Universe because it's the first time they've done this. What? It's <laughs> not, though. Up, up until the CG monster fight, kind of. Wait, how is it? I, I'm confused. Standard story, first time Marvel is that What? Okay, That's it's a, the first time they've done Chinese fantasy. That's what he's talking about, I'm, I would hope. Giving this man credit for having more than five brain cells to rub together, sure. <laughs> but I'm not going to give him the benefit of that doubt. That's a poorly constructed sentence. Michael Medved, this piece of shit, of the Michael Medved show. What is Sorry, it I'm you have against this guy again? I called into his show and he cut me off and didn't let me make my point. How long were you taking to make your point? 
I didn't get long enough to make one, but it was like a minute or less. I thought you just didn't like people who named their podcasts whatever directly after themselves. No, that's no, no. Robert's stick. No, no, yeah, this guy is actually uh, the Michael Medved is actually done like radio brought. Like, he, he's a radio guy as much. As yeah, he's a else. he's a conservative talk show dude. Um, anyway, the special effects and flying dragons are elegant and occasionally yeah. impressive, but become tedious long before the film bangs and wheezes to get to its get ready for the sequel conclusion. I actually agree with most of that. <laughs> it's yeah. not that would not be enough for me to splat it. Again, I think this is a pass on pass fail scale, but that's that actually echoes some of my criticisms. Okay. Well, I don't like Michael Medved, so whatever. He might be a jerk. That doesn't mean he's wrong. Nick Johnson of Vanyaland. I won't be unhappy to see Shang-Chi again when he pops up in some inevitable side quell, but I wish he weren't beholden to the shared universe machinations instead of being the master of his magical domain. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish this wasn't a Marvel movie. Okay, I actually... To be fair, I said can, that. <laughs> can we actually use that word side quill? I like that. That that is actually a fairly clever way to to put that in there. Um, Mark uh, Dutzik, 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 Fishstick. <laughs> of Mark reviews movies. When it finally comes time for screenwriters to come up with a plot, they seem uncertain about what to do. Well, hang hang on, go back up for a sec. There's an, interesting, uh, there's an interesting point right above that one, actually, by the gentleman writing for the Detroit News. Uh, top critic Andrew, Adam Graham. Scroll back down. Right there. Literally right above the splat. I, I got it. Adam Graham of Detroit News. Top critic. Red Star. Shang-Chi holds his own, but he doesn't leave you wanting more. It feels like a one and done while we get back to the main attraction. I, I, I'm just curious about this because... Anybody else feel that? I'm, genuine question. I'm not trying to dunk on this guy or anyone else. I'm genuinely curious. Do, anybody else feel a little bit like that? Like if this guy had this movie and that was it, we'd be okay with it? I, again, yeah, sincere I question. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not aching to see another Shang-Chi movie. But at this point, like, here, here's the thing. After 10 years of the Infinity Saga, I'm kind of just in for the ride. I never know where they're going. They never seem to go quite where I want them to go. But then they go in a place where I don't mind them going to begin with. So it's like, eh, we get more, we get more, we don't, we don't. I, I Whatever whatever Marvel wants to do next, I'm, I'm, I'm at least willing to give it a try. We're not at the point of Star Wars or the DCEU where I'm getting, where I got to the point where I, I just don't want to see any more of these movies. I wish they'd stop, especially well, I, Star Wars. Okay, and before we go on to the other two members of the podcast here, Dave, your thoughts on that? Like, uh, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. That's not an angle I considered a whole lot with this particular movie, and in no small part because it didn't do any, it didn't do a whole lot for me. And that's my stance on everything these days. So I want to make want to see what other people feel about that. Well, they didn't really give us any sort of unfinished business at the end of the end of the movie, like at a small scale level. It's just he gets recruited by. Uh, by Wong, who I guess is doing the the shield thing now for this, and it's just like you know, welcome to the bigger Marvel universe. You know, they your lives to... are going to change from now, and yeah, and then they all go to karaoke, and it's just oh, mysterious. What are the ten rings? But it's not sort of really like oh, geez, you know, now I need to go and do this thing. You know, I need to address this issue or something. Whereas like you know, Spider Man Far From Home ended with you know his cover being blown and him having to you know 
how does he survive this now? Or he makes you know, a Black... deal with Mephisto. Yeah, yeah but, but we'll we'll get there. But then, or you know, Black Panther. It's T'Challa opens Wakanda up to the world. It's like okay, so how's that going to play out? Whereas this is just kind of okay. Like they defeat they they defeat the big bad. They save the universe from destruction, and he goes back to having dinner with his friends. Okay. I mean, even even Doctor Strange still had Mordo out there doing stuff. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, Alex- so Alexa, same question. Okay, Mark's about to go destroy a machine. Alexis, your same, yeah, same question. Like, did did this feel a little bit like one and done to you? I'm I'm just curious. If it wasn't part of the Marvel universe, then yes. But not going to lie, you guys know I'm a big MCU fanatic. I am looking forward to seeing how Shang-Chi interacts with more characters from the Marvel Universe. I want to see him show up and fighting with Captain with Sam Wilson and the new Thor. I really do want to see that. Um, and I'm just going to say it. Uh, I am really intrigued with how we're going to see... Uh, is it Simu or Simu? I, I, I don't know where to put the accent. Shamu? Uh, I'm I've been going with Simu. I am really interested to see how his star is about to take off. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are on Twitter that frequently, but apparently he doesn't have a huge uh, filmography to his name. But evidently for a while, what he did was he did a lot of stock photos. He was a stock photo mm-hmm. model. And now people are finding all these stock photos that he I've was I've seen a few in. of these. Yeah, and they're turning them into memes, and it's hilarious. And I, I, I am really intrigued to see where he's going to go from this, because he, he was very good in this. It's like, okay, we have seen the emergence of a new A-list actor. Let's see how this hap- how, where this goes. Roger Moore of Movie Nation, Robert's spiritual father. The air goes out of the balloon, bit by bit. And the long middle act settle into tedium, exposition, and entropy. And the world is a flat, time is a flat circle. The world is nigh. Sorry. I say, wasn't this exactly what you guys said? Uh, not exactly, but kind this of. Is, but this is why Mark accuses him of being my spiritual father. Two <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> uh, more, then we're done. Allison Wilmore, New York Magazine, Vulture, top critic. Shang-Chi isn't a hopeless addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe fold, but the movie feels as racked with a sense of inadequacy about its main character as that main character is about himself. Wow, someone's projecting. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I never really thought Shang-Chi had a sense of inadequacy. It was just more, I'm not the good person you think I am. It's not like, he didn't have like, oh, I'm, I'm not good, I can't kung fu fight. Yeah, I was going to say, when things started happening on the bus, he went into form pretty damn fast. Hmm. By the way, nice job with the portrayal of Razor Fist. That was cool. Maya Phillips, last one, New York Times, top critic. Uh, A former newspaper. (laughs) The film uses the superficial markers of Asian culture and filmmaking without presenting anything unique in its Marvel take on that tradition. Ow. (laughs) Okay, hang on. Let me just take a minute here. Your criticism of the movie has nothing to do with what's actually presented on screen in the movie's own. Like, like you're not even taking the movie on its own terms. Your big criticism is, well, it doesn't do anything unique with Asian culture. You know, like the way Wakanda did with the black people. Like, th- that seems like that's what you're saying here. That's, which is not, to be abundantly clear, I thought it was stupid that people were praising Black Panther's sp- 
only for that. I had my issues with Black Panther, both positive and negative, and we reviewed it. And you can listen to that review if you're so inclined. But anyone going, no, this movie is perfect because it's Marvel's take on the African aesthetic. That's really utterly immaterial to the film, as is what Marvel does or doesn't in terms of presenting elements of Chinese culture here. That's you can not- say you can enjoy the movie and still enjoy those elements. I mean, one doesn't break the other. Uh, I yeah. mentioned, like I said, I mentioned how important it was that they have an Asian director, Asian screenwriter, and Asian cast, but that doesn't change whether or not I enjoy the movie. Yeah, there's, as my dog is now deciding to make noise. Yeah, that one felt like a very superficial look at me, look at me. Yeah. You know, I'm saying all the right right buzzwords type behold, of uh, Behold review. how woke I am for saying that Disney and capitalism is ruining the Chinese. Like, get bent. All right. Uh, when Robert says get bent, that's usually a sign the podcast has come to a glorious conclusion. <laughs> that's our new sign off. And instead of get be well, be safe and behave, Rattelogen Broadcasting Network, get bent. All right. Um, our popularity is going to skyrocket after that that's one. My fourth monoc- <laughs> that's my fourth monocle this, this month. I really must stop being so horrified. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have to explain that one briefly. That's from a Simpsons gag where Bart uh, gets a horse. This is the second time the Simpsons get a horse. Bart starts racing it, and Bart being Bart, you know, gussies him up and is kind of the bad boy of the racing world. And some stuffy to-do types watching the horse races go, look at that mangy beast. What has become of the sport of kings? And Bart just tells him, get bent. He then, (gasps) shocked, and a monocle falls out of his eye and shatters. And he picks it up, and it's my fourth monocle this month. I simply must stop being so horrified. I agree. We have a lot of great content here on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. Uh, Alexis and I spent an hour, uh, half the length of this show, talking about Doug Days and Monsters at Work Season 1. Um, <clears throat> next week, myself and Robert Winfrey will be reviewing Malignant by James Wan, which comes out this Friday. Um, Alexis Haina will be making her third appearance on the... Alexis Haina, I group all of her appearances on the network in one week. Um, and then that's you work it. me say so you work me to exhaustion, and then you kick me at the door saying, "Get lost until I need you again." Hey, at least I haven't cut six months worth of your shows. Consider yourself lucky, because um, I've done that to some other people. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Alexis Haina and I and Jeff Sloboda of the MCU's Bleeding Edge will be reviewing Ghost World and comparing it to the comic book this Thursday, tomorrow night. Myself, Jesse, and probably Robert Cooper will be reviewing. Speaking of Asian, we'll be reviewing the new Iron Maiden album, Senjutsu. Uh, so that'll be fun. Plus, uh, myself will be standing between Chris Bailey and Harry Broadhurst as they have a sissy slap fight over All Out 2021. Is it the greatest moment in the history of professional wrestling, or well, was it just okay? That's the debate that's going to happen that I have to now was, sit in the middle of. It was better than okay. It wasn't the greatest. Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole is second banana no matter where he goes. He sucks. You're a second banana. Um, yes, I am. <laughs> In fact, I wind up playing second banana to you most of the time. Look, Adam Cole is a not Adam Cole is a non-factor who joins the big heel faction because he's not good enough to actually stand on his own two feet. And I don't care how much you like saying Adam Cole, baby. You can like that all you want. If he's gonna have the same stupid match he's had for the last fifteen years, where his Canadian destroyer can't even put down a commentator. Speaking of Screw Canadian destroyers, guy. Alexis Haina has a company where she sells shit. Why don't you talk about it, Alexis? Before I do, Robert. She, she gets the Canadian wheat lead in. What? 
Yes, that's true. <laughs> Are you new here? I mean, My transitions don't make sense. Could, should I be concerned? David, do you want to go first? I mostly just wanted to ask Robert about why he still has his Christmas decorations up on the wall behind him. That has been bugging me every single time we do a video. What the? Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's up there because it's easier. Oh, God. To take down. <laughs> it's literally the, the. It was all me, James. It's always been me, the author of all your pain. Please do plugs. <laughs> Sorry. Look, wait for the Christmas tree to go up. It won't come down until April. And now I'm up at News Flash. Please oh, I, ha I have an addition for your soundboard. One you need yes. to do, considering we do this. Yeah, I need you to get um, Peter Venkman from the Ghostbusters going. Yeah, but the kids love us. <laughs> so anytime I bring up art, yeah, and how how ninety percent of what gets produced is schlock and crap, you can just say, "But the kids love us," and I can go, "Yeah, but kids suck." Third time, <laughs> or I'm just gonna end yeah. the show. I make the motion that we have these kind of discussions after recording. Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. <laughs> We're we're wrapping up our Labor Day weekend sale. Everything in the store is no longer 15% off, but it is still fully stocked. We're going to be adding a bunch of new products here and the end of September because the weekend of September 17th, I will be in Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Comic Expo. It's our final convention of the year. Kind of things a little short this year, but say la vie. Yes, thank you for the side commentary there, Eddie. He got annoyed that Cleo's been on camera so much. Now he wants to do audio. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. Robert, your plugs. David, you don't have any plugs. Uh, well, just, just the Star Trek podcast, which I think you've pushed to November. 2023, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, I assume <laughs> to coincide with Lower Decks Season 2 finishing up. <laughs> Uh, so there, there, there is like I don't have much in the way of personal plugs, but uh, there, in relation to our topic, there is a YouTuber that I have found that I would love to plug. Sure. Uh, so her name is Siran J Zhao. Uh, I'll just spell that out for everyone. So X I R A N space J A Y space Z H A O, and uh, she does like uh, sort of Chinese cultural history critiques of like Western movies centering on. Uh, like Chinese or Asian iconography. So like she did like a whole breakdown of <laughs> Mulan 2020 and how that's horrifically inaccurate. Then she's done like, you know, the Mulan, the animated version, Mulan 2, uh, Asian and Asian influences in Avatar, The Last Airbender and so on. So she hasn't done Shang-Chi yet, but I would imagine that at some point in the future she would, but she does, she does some good content. So, uh, you know, I'm wishing her all the best success and, uh, you know, pushing her here. That's fair. All right. As for myself, let's see. Yesterday, I covered AEW's Dark Elevation, which was an hour and 15 minutes. You can find my full review of that in the uh, Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania. While we were recording this, I was drafted into covering AEW's Dynamite tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Hey, Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki. That's Nemesis. Look, if Minoru doesn't actually shoot on the man and break his jaw, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, 
I, I anticipate being dragged in the comments section kind of per usual. Uh, then Friday, I will be covering uh, WWE SmackDown. That's my usual Friday gig. And I tend to co I cover the UFC events when they happen on Saturdays. There is no UFC event on September 11th. So I get that particular Saturday off. I don't know what I'll do with it. I will probably waste it per usual. I also host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. If you're interested in that particular sport and some adjacent combat sports news on occasion, you can find that wherever you're listening to podcasts. This last week, I reviewed the last event, talked a little bit of news, not a whole lot of news, really short episode, but I record that Sunday evening. So on the way to work on Monday morning, you can have me talking about MMA as to accompany you on the drive to work, uh, as it were. So do that. And Mark already mentioned next week, we're talking malignant. Thank you all very, very much for all the support you give our shows, our products, our podcasts. Uh, it means a lot to us, so please continue to do so. We had a pretty good last month. We're hoping to have an even better one this month. So thank you again. We deeply appreciate you. Mark is about to go tear his schedule up again as I because at this point it's just a stress reliever for him, I imagine. Uh, on that note, thank you again. Stay safe out there as usual and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>